All right, welcome to Marowakers Podcast. Today we have on... Louise Page. Awesome, awesome. How's it going, Louise? Oh, really well, yes. Great, great. So we actually... Um, we're restarting pretty much because <laughs> not because we messed up like I did last time with Trey, but she was telling me some good info about uh, just contacting people, and I told her like as always, I usually just search people on Memphis uh, mm-hmm. like a hashtag or something like that, and uh, she said you know people are can be pretty sketchy about contacting everything, so I want her to just elaborate a little bit on um, I guess just contact people because I'm I'm a super friendly person when it yes. comes to like social media. Like, super friendly. So it's it's easy for me to just like I treat nobody like they're special. Like I don't care if you've got ten million followers mm-hmm. or ten followers. I'm gonna treat you the same way. Right. So for me to just be a person that you had no idea who I was and to get the message like that, how how do you like I want to approach that? Right, so I'm a very friendly person as well, and I didn't grow up in Memphis, I grew up in a really small town, so I was kind of like a rube when I first moved here, and really friendly, really trusting, Um, and I don't know, I'm sure your listeners' minds are already (laughs) going down the path of I've uh, ended up in some strange situations because I was too trusting and too friendly, Uh, so... Now that I really put myself out there and I'm advertising my music publicly, my very first response, if someone DMs me about a podcast or a show or anything like that, um, if they've direct messaged me, my first response is send me an email. And uh, in my experience, that kind of weeds out people who aren't actually serious or really what it usually is, is nothing too nefarious, but it's just someone just wants to hang out or like go on a date and they don't actually have an opportunity for me that's a real opportunity and for whatever reason in the email format i feel like that becomes super clear if you you, generally if there's not a true opportunity there people won't even email but if they do it becomes just really obvious that this is not an actual thing but uh jackson did email me and so (laughs) here we are sitting here for this podcast yeah (laughs) Yeah. even like when when I contact people, I try to give, I actually got this from Trey Stafford, he was, mm-hmm. uh, he was telling me, it was kind of weird at first because I messaged him on Instagram and then uh, we were talking a little bit, he was like, yeah, send me a, uh, a calendar invite. I was like, a calendar invite? <laughs> I was like, all right, this dude's like a, a business person. Yeah. So when he uh, told me that, I was like, all right, maybe I should start you know, giving people more info. And then mm-hmm. when, I, I think it was the day we did the podcast, he was telling me like, yeah, whenever you email or message somebody, give them as much detail as possible. Because it makes them yeah. realize like, hey, I'm serious about this and I want to get it done. So yes. uh, that's why totally. I, now when I message people, I tell them like, I, I try to suggest a date, mm-hmm. I suggest a time, and um, I send them a link to the podcast. So I try to find like yeah. a good podcast that they might be interested in. And I mean, I've only done 17, I think. So I just try to find one that they might be interested in and I send them that link as well so that they might be like, oh, okay, yeah, I might do this. That's the way to do it because that made me think of something else. Outside of people maybe having like some ulterior motive or intention, I would say probably the more common thing is people just not having follow through, you know, like kind of impulsively sending you like, oh my gosh, we should write this song together, we should play this (laughs) show together, and it just never happens. (laughs) The follow-through is important, the details are important. So how yeah. often do you get uh, like requests to do music with people? Oh man, that um, is a big question. I, um, 
I'm kind of, I think, at an interesting place with music right now where I'm a, I'm a completely independent musician. I'm not signed to any type of label. I mean, that's not to say I don't get any help. Like, I have a band um, that I love, and they're great. And I, the uh, music I've recorded, I've worked at Young Avenue Sound, um, which I have a great relationship with them. And uh, the sound engineer I work with there, Calvin Lauber, is amazing, and he helps me a lot. But as far as a manager or a booking agent or any type of record label, I don't have any of that. Nice. So, um it's nice in a lot of ways because I maintain ownership and control over all my music and I really know what's going on, but I'm starting to get to a place where it's a little bit overwhelming. Really? <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, so that's good, it's a good, it's yeah, a good, good problem to have, definitely. Um, so I would say uh, I really do try to conduct most of my business through email and once I've waded through, you know, the spam email, I'm probably getting five or six emails a day with some type of something that someone wants to do with me, be it a show or um, a podcast or collaborating in some other type of way. Um, and honestly, I'm sure that there are some stale requests sitting in my Facebook messages and DMs, but I've just kind of had to focus on yeah. one inbox because it gets overwhelming a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, so I think I, so after I found you, I messaged you. Uh -huh. and, but I was going on like a messaging spree, like I messaged a right. ton of people, and I'm not special. Doesn't matter about ten followers or two. <laughs> but I was I was waiting for your reply. I was like, mm -hmm. all right, I finally found like a Memphis musician, and I was like waiting on your reply, and mm -hmm. I didn't get a reply for like a I think it was a couple weeks, maybe maybe three weeks, <laughs> yeah. and um, I was like. And then finally you messaged me back, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. And then That's you told me to email you. And I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> I was like, I have to wait longer. And then so I emailed you, and then I think you finally replied like maybe a couple more weeks later. And then, uh, you're really exposing me here. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you said, you're busy. Like me. Yeah. So I have a full-time job as an yeah. automation technician. Well, so that's cool. That's, yeah. um, that's my job at Owens Corning. But like I do, I do music, I do photography, I do video, I do all this other stuff yeah. as a side gig. And that's sometimes, you know, that's people's full-time job. But for me, that's just side stuff. And I'm constantly busy. But like I don't get five or six emails a day for people to work with me and stuff like that. And people are asking me stuff. I'm, I'm just, you know, doing what I want to do. So for you to be busy, and then to actually reply to me for, you know, I see you doing shows. I've never done a show before. Like, <laughs> so you're doing shows, you're doing all this stuff. So I was just happy that you even oh, replied. Because cool. a lot of people don't reply. No, I appreciate the understanding because that really is what happens is uh, it's like a prioritization thing, you know. Like some people, if, if we're talking about a show that's already booked, it's happening in two days, they might get a response in 30 minutes to an email. Hmm. But if it's something where like, I don't know where I don't know you and we're kind of talking details, I might be a little slower to reply. That is something I'm trying to get better at though, is uh, is staying more on top of um, my emails and DMs, but you know, never ending list of things. Yeah, I and, mean, uh, there's some people who like yeah. say that they don't check their comments. And yeah. you can, like I'll go to like famous musicians and look at their comment sections just to see if they're replying to the comments. Because I right. like, if I see that you're not replying to your comments, I don't, I don't, like comment on your page, I'm like, oh, they don't reply to them anyway, so why do right. I even reply? I um, I try to reply to all my comments. Yeah, I noticed you I did, really so do. that's why I hit you up. Yeah, even if it's just like some emojis, I'll reply some emojis yeah. back, because yeah. uh, I really appreciate that people 
care and that they like what I'm doing and that they care enough to comment on this thing I'm putting on social media, like, yeah. that really matters to me. I really have, I've kind of um, changed my mindset around social media this year, though, a little bit, if you want to hear about that a little yeah, bit. So, like, okay, so I'm 26 years old, uh, been playing music since I was a little, little kid, but I've been releasing music out into the world um, since 2017. Okay. Uh, and I've been doing music full-time technically since the end of 2018, but I would say it's been about a year. I would say it's been pretty much exactly a year that I've been really on my grind doing music full-time. And uh, I've always liked social media. Like, I remember when I was in high school, Facebook was huge, yeah. <laughs> and I loved it, and was on it all the time, and uh, even before that, in middle school, I was IMing boys and all you of that. MySpace? Um, I never had a MySpace. Oh, you missed that. I did. I, I'm the right age. Like, I yeah. could have been one of those 12, 13-year-olds with a MySpace, but uh, I wasn't allowed to have a MySpace. Oh. Uh, but then, you know, I got a, Facebook was a newer thing, so I kind of kind of wise up and didn't ask permission before I made my Facebook. <laughs> so, uh, and then I got Instagram, like, right before uh, college started. I got on Instagram, and the Wheezy page name really comes from, uh, you know, Wheezy is a pretty common nickname for Louise. Um, I had one really, really good friend in high school who called me Wheezy, but nobody else really did, and I happened to be with her when I was making the Instagram account. Uh, Louise Page was already taken, so we were like, oh, well, we'll do Wheezy Page. Mm -hmm. um, and then I said I grew up in a small town. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. So uh, connection to Memphis is that my mother's from here. My cool. grandmother lives here. Um, and I got into Rhodes. It was the best school I got into. So I was like, well, here I go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come down here. Um, so then I come to school, and a bunch of people started calling me Wheezy, and I swear to you, it's just from the Instagram name. Like, I've never asked anyone to call me Wheezy. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's cute. I'm, I'm fine with it. I really go by Louise, though. Uh, anyway, so social media has always been something I loved, and it's always been a big, like, kind of distraction or procrastination thing for me. So when I started getting really into music and doing that full-time, it was kind of cool to have an actual excuse to be on social media that was productive, you know? And I do think that it's pretty amazing that we all have access to this platform where we could potentially reach billions of people, you know? It's pretty amazing. But um, last year, as I was doing music full-time, I was getting pretty addicted to social media, which I gave you that long-winded backstory to sort of express that I've maybe always been a little addicted to it. But, you know, I was just on it. <laughs> all the time and uh, it wasn't feeling productive anymore you know and I was getting really really obsessed with tiny tiny little things like how many people liked this photo or shared it to their story or just the nitty-gritty numbers of it all uh, and I kind of had a little epiphany about it where I was like I really I'm not a social media influencer like that's not my job that's not really what I'm trying to do yeah in this life, like, I'm a musician, and social media is a tool for me to advertise my shows and my music, but I don't work for social media, you know what I'm saying? So I've kind of flipped my mindset about it, where I'm like, I do not work for Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, those are tools that I use, like, they work for me, cool. and if they ever start to feel 
stressful or if I start to feel, um, you know, I think a lot of people can get really anxious about it or even depressed if they're really deep into it and a post that they were counting on doesn't perform well or something like, yeah, I'm just not trying to be that lost in the sauce with it. I still love it and have fun with it, but um, I've kind of, you, I think you can even see on my page, I don't post quite as often as I used to and it's because I'm working more on the actual music. That feels really, really good. So 2020 positive change yeah. towards my social media. But unfortunately, for those of you waiting for a reply to your DM, <laughs> my email it takes even longer to get a response. But you can email me. There's a link to email me. Uh, I'll reply to that a lot quicker. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought you might be interested in that too because yeah. you're a creative on social media and yeah. you, I'm sure, uh, I don't think anyone's immune to it that the feelings that can come with uh, the numbers that are all over social media, like your followers and who's following you back and who's liking your posts and who's watching your videos, like those numbers can really get in your head, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of people just go out of their way to make sure they had like a lot of followers, which I can, I can tell. So I had a long conversation mm -hmm. with a friend about the difference between like having a ton of followers and having a ton of interactions. Yes. And to me, interactions are way more important than followers. So, for instance, we are, we're actually talking about how being popular on YouTube is way more important than social media because you can have way more views and, like, comments and stuff higher on YouTube than you can on social media. So we did the math, and it was like, uh, gosh, I forgot. We, I think we looked up, like, Kylie Jenner because mm -hmm. she has maybe like a hundred million followers a or ton, something like yeah. that. But we went to, I went to like one of her pictures and she had like, I don't know, maybe like three million um, likes. Yeah. And I was like, that ratio was terrible. <laughs> That's true. Really. Yeah. And, then, um, and then the comments, it's probably like, I don't know, 50,000 comments. I was like, I would hate to have a million followers, but only like 50 people have something to say about what I, about what I'm doing. Right. And then, but like, if you post something on YouTube, if somebody has like ten thousand followers, they might have a million views on on their on their um, post. And then and comments aren't really huge on YouTube. Sometimes they can be, mm -hmm. but um, just the the views compared to you know what you're posting to your subscribers, and then your likes compared to your followers is is outrageously the ratio is much better on YouTube. Yeah, that's interesting, and I I um. I really love making music videos. That's kind of, uh, I, that's something I've been doing for a couple years and I'll tell you what, it is definitely not a financially lucrative thing to do, making music <laughs> videos, like it's kind of a money pit, but uh, it's sort of something I do for myself because I really love it and kind of, I, I guess I sort of partially intuited a little bit about what you're saying, but I just noticed, um, that the couple of songs I made into music videos got way more engagement everywhere else. Yeah. Like more people knew about the song, more people listened to the song on Spotify and Apple Music. So I do think that, especially in this world we're living in, like people respond to visual exactly. branding and visual images. Um, That's like why Instagram's so lot. popular. It's true, yeah. It's, it revolves around a picture or a video. I've gotten really into Twitter in the last year, honestly. 
I was never super into it, um, and maybe part of why I like it is just because it's a new platform to me, and I do love words, like, I love, uh, I, my other love besides music is language and writing, and my lyrics are important to me in my songs, so I like that Twitter is kind of text-based, but I can tell, personally, that Twitter is owned by a different um, company than Facebook, because it feels like Twitter is a bit more equal opportunity than Facebook and Instagram are, purely in that um, the algorithm is different. I don't know enough about algorithms to really tell you how, but you see random people on Twitter who have a thousand followers get totally viral tweets, yep. have a million likes, and I don't really think that would be possible on Instagram yeah. or Facebook. You would need to build up your following first, yeah. or get super lucky and have a famous person share your post or something, but um, that's something that sort of intrigues me about Twitter. And I think YouTube is a little bit like this too, yeah. that it feels a little bit more like if the content is good, there's a chance that it'll take off. Yeah. Whereas there's kind of a bunch of legwork involved with uh, garnering a following on Facebook and Instagram before anything can really The best off. word to describe yeah. what you were just talking about is Twitter and YouTube are more raw. Like yeah. it's, it's almost, um, Joe Rogan had a podcast with uh, Jack, Jack something, I can't think of his last name, but he's the CEO of Twitter. Oh, okay. and, um, Jack Tweetington. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said he almost considered having like um, like a second Twitter where it's like there's no rules. Because, you know, Twitter kind of has rules for the mm -hmm. sake of like advertisement because you yeah. might not want, Coca-Cola might not put an ad on Twitter because of such and such. Like they allow, you know, people cussing and stuff like that. But like Facebook and Instagram kind of have that censorship. Like you can't see like tits. That's super or, true. You know, you can't be naked yeah. on Instagram. You can definitely be naked on Twitter. Yeah, learn that the like hard way this year. Because <laughs> things will just pop up and you're like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I'm all soft now from only being on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Like I can't believe that's allowed on here. <laughs> you're like dropping your yeah, phone. Yeah. No. I'm like, grandma, look away. I don't know this is on here. Yeah. yeah. So Twitter, it's um, it's definitely. Uh, as you were saying, it's like you have the ability to blow up on that. And mm -hmm. I was having a conversation with my friend about that because we were saying that you can, um, like, you know, if you retweet something, then mm -hmm. if it's on that person's, if that person retweets, like, something that you posted, it's going to be on their feed because if anybody follows them, then they can see that. That's the thing. You, you see things like, um, Instagram like that. yeah, like, uh, I follow Lizzo on Twitter. I really love Lizzo. And she, um, I'm sure she gets tagged in millions of things and it's just the luck of the draw, you know, whatever comes up for her right when she's checking her phone, but she'll retweet things that fans say about her if she likes them or whatever, and that's just a ton of exposure for some random person, you know? Exactly. Because she has, I don't know off the top of my head, but she probably has a couple million followers on Twitter. So, um, yeah, that's a cool thing about it too. It's interesting. Social media is really, really fascinating to me, partly because I use it so heavily for my job and I also think because it's so new and I'm a part of this curious generation of people where um, it, social media did not exist when I was a child and I sort of watched it come into being, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, like I have a couple of piano students, so they're, the youngest one is eight, the oldest one's 11 and um, for them this has always existed in their world and it's kind of 
been interesting to me and a little bit sad sometimes too um, to watch the 11 year old student she uh, used to have an Instagram and uh, it, she deleted the Instagram because she said she was getting bullied on there and, oh uh, my goodness I was sad and uh, you know we remember being 11 and being in 6th grade kids are super mean yeah. uh, so the bullying isn't new but I think about that like man Instagram did not exist when I was 11 you know uh but it did exist when I was 17. It's just, I feel like uh, people who are kind of in my age right now, in their mid-20s, it's sort of weird because this is something that's existed for us as adults and maybe as teenagers, but not as children. Uh, so it's strange, I don't know. It's kind of weird to grow up with that sort of slowly infiltrating into your world. Do you think yeah. that it like a lot of people look at social media as a as like a poison they just think it's really bad for people but when when you really like take social media for like what it what it can do for people like as we we're talking about like you can blow up off of that like people can get super famous and things go viral mm -hmm. when you have the ability to um, harness that uh, type of what's the word I'm trying to use um, that motivation just, just that uh, the energy that can happen from that. Do you potential. think? Yeah, the potential yeah. off of it. Do you think that? I guess kids should start to just try to add more, or do you think that they should just like back away? Kind of like how you were at first, like all on social media, and then you like now. I just want to, you know, back mm -hmm. away a little bit more. How do you think that they, like somebody who's younger should like approach that as well? That's a great question, and I think it's interesting, like, it's kind of, uh, and I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I really do think it's all about how you use social media. Um, and I don't know, as for, far as younger people, I can't exactly tell anyone how to use social media in yeah. a way that will make them happy, um, because everyone's different, but um, I know that for me, when social media was perhaps becoming a bit negative for me um, was when I followed a ton of models and celebrities and people who kind of had, you know, were kind of uh, just Instagram famous and had maybe enviable lifestyles or whatever. That can kind of get in your head and bum you out. And I think especially as a, um, as a young person, you know, we all, men and women, when you're young and a teenager or in your early 20s, body image is really challenging. And then to be inundated with really perhaps doctored images of thinness and fitness. I know that wasn't very healthy for me when I was in college. It affected my self-esteem. And I worry about that for younger people too. I worry about social media affecting people's self-esteem, be it because they're following a bunch of models or even just because their best friend has 5,000 followers and they only have 200 and they feel bad. I don't know. So that was the kind of stuff that was really negative about it for me. Um, so this was actually before I kind of made my Instagram into a professional music page. Uh, before that it was just my personal page and I have like years of personal content archived on that Instagram but now it's just the music stuff. But um, a few years ago when I was still in college I unfollowed pretty much everyone I didn't know in real life. Like yeah. if it wasn't a person I knew in real life 
Um, I unfollowed them, save a couple of celebrities or artists whose work inspired me. There was nothing about their feed that made me feel less than. It was all stuff that really inspired me. And now um, the people that I choose to follow on Instagram are all uh, either friends and family from real life or people whose content in some way inspires me in a positive way. So I've ended up creating this great um, kind of network of other independent musicians and artists on Instagram. A lot of who I follow on Instagram are other independent artists and musicians. And I like it too because it becomes sort of a system of mutual support where we share each other's posts and accomplishments and help each other grow communities. So um, that's the best advice I can give is that the one thing that's great about social media is that you, to a degree, are choosing what you see. You know, you choose who to follow. <laughs> yeah, there is advertising, so there are some things that maybe you don't get a choice on if you see them or not, but uh, yeah, you choose who to follow. And, uh, you know, uh, if even if it is someone in your personal life, I've had to deal with this too, even if it is someone in your personal life and for whatever reason their content is negative to you or it brings you down or uh, is hateful in some way, like, you can just unfollow them. Yeah. And, uh, kind of curate a community of people that feel positive and inspiring. So now when I go to my Instagram feed, it's mostly art and music and people that I love. And so it's a happier place. It can still be addictive. You can still get kind of yeah. caught up in spending too much time on there. But uh, yeah, I've just gotten completely trigger happy with the mute button, the block button, and the unfollow button. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. Like. On Facebook especially, if someone posts something that offends me, I just unfriend them. That's crazy. It's pretty cold. I'm just like, I can't even, I can't even see this on my phone, so I'm just going <laughs> to unfriend you. Because you know? uh, I used to be a little bit of a keyboard warrior on Facebook. Really? I think in the name of justice, I would never bully anyone or anything like that. It would be more like getting really upset about seeing things like that, like uh, someone being bullied or someone saying something really negative and trying to swoop in and argue with people but you I mean you're not going to get anywhere arguing with anyone on social media yeah. it's not going to work <laughs> you, you can't argue with stupid well yeah, and uh, stupid. eventually realize if someone is intentionally posting incendiary comments on Facebook or Instagram or whatever they want someone to argue with them so you're actually giving them exactly what they want if yeah. you engage with that energy so that's a whole other thing like that's really, I think, the best advice is figure out what makes you feel happy and motivated and inspired and seek out that content. And uh, don't waste your time on anything that makes you feel uh, bad or unmotivated or negative in any way. Yeah. You know, that's Is there a, a specific person that you can think of that you follow on Instagram that you are like, this person is extremely motivational for me, it, whether it's music or whatever, like a public speaker, doesn't matter. Yeah, I can think of a couple. Um, well, I have this uh, friend who I actually befriended her through Instagram. Um, she is a visual artist. She's an illustrator. Her name is Sarah Day, and her Instagram is Sarah Day Arts at Sarah Day Arts. S A R A H D A Y A R A R T S. Um, so I was uh, looking at a larger page 
I don't even think I followed the page. I think I was just, it's like a comedy page. It's someone who draws cartoons. I was just looking at it for a laugh. And she had tagged this person, Sarah Day Arts, in her Instagram story. And I sort of was following the rabbit trail. I feel like we all do that. I was just sort of like, how did I end up here? Like, like seven links and ended up here. And when I went to Sarah's page, she had like, uh, at the time, like 15K followers, like a decent number of followers. And it said she had just moved to Memphis. It's like, oh my God, this person who makes beautiful art um, and kind of has a lot of followers just moved to Memphis. Like, that's really cool. Uh, so I DM'd her on Instagram and said something like, I uh, found your page and noticed that you just moved to Memphis. Like, I'm a musician in Memphis. If you ever um, want to hang out or you need any tips on breaking into the creative community here, like, it's really cool that you moved here. You know, I was trying to be friendly. And yeah. uh, now she and I are good friends in real life. That's and awesome. she's totally involved in the... Um, art community in um, Memphis and uh, she really inspires me because she is doing this full-time her uh, her illustration and she makes uh, she makes little jewelry and stickers and prints you know she has merchandise that she sells but uh, she definitely um, is really good at using Instagram as a tool for her brand. Uh, so I admire her in that way. And she also um, really cares about things like mental health and body image and social justice and isn't afraid to talk about those things in her art and talk about those things on her social media. And I admire that too because um, I really do have pretty strong values uh, and it can feel scary to be really open about your values when you're trying to advertise yourself as a product because we live in a pretty polarized world. So sometimes taking a stand on something can mean isolating or, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, distancing yourself from people that might have listened to your music, but that's okay with me. I don't know, you know, I believe in what I believe in. So if uh, that bothers people, then that's okay, because I think it means a lot to people who maybe need to see that, because I don't think I believe in anything super crazy or controversial. It's <laughs> mostly just like uh, equality for everyone and like love and justice, but, uh, but you know, she inspires me for that reason, that she has strong values and she doesn't shy away from expressing them on her public platform. I think she's inspired me to do the same. And uh, Sarah, if you're listening to this, <laughs> shout out to you. Thank you for being a great person, you know? <laughs> really cool to me to see that. I actually had a conversation with a, a stripper this one time and she was, I was, I was talking to her about separating your work from who you really are. Right. And she was like, yeah, my parents don't know that I'm a stripper. And I was like, mm. that's wild. Cause she, yeah. I think she was like mid or late twenties or something like that. But I was like, when they find out, <laughs> not, not if they find out, when they find out, um, I always wondered like how people, you know, how they handle the two different sides. Cause like even famous musicians or even you, like how do you handle the separation between you as the artist and then you as, you know, oh, I went to high school with that girl. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, that's, that's a, I have a couple answers for that. First of all, the, oh, I went to high school with that girl thing is funny to me cause uh, <laughs> I was such a nerd in high school. And I know like everyone says that and I'm not even saying like that, I don't know, I'm not trying to 
paint a false picture here, like truly and honestly, I was a nerd. Like I was in the marching band and I had braces and I was a super late bloomer, so I looked really young in high school. Now I'm grateful to be a late bloomer. I like looking young is great now, but when you're 16 and you want to like go on a date, like looking 10 is not really ideal, you know, it's not. Anyway, so I was such a nerd in high school, so I, and I moved kind of far away after high school, so I do think about that, like what do the people from my high school even think about what's going on yeah. right now? I have no idea. Some of them I do, the ones I've stayed in touch with, very supportive, sweet people, but uh, regardless, uh, it's a tricky question because I do think, like, like I was saying, uh, <coughs> There, I mean, I'm um, I'm a bit of a conflict avoidant person, so uh, I've had the impulse before to sort of uh, depoliticize my social media presence, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and now I'm kind of in a place where I think I can do that to a degree. You know, you kind of have to choose your battles. You can't die on every single hill. But uh, also, um, I, I, here's just one thing, for example. Like, I... Uh, am really involved in the LGBT community. Um, I identify as bisexual, I have a sibling who's transgender, oh. and so that really matters to me. So you're and, like deep into, you're and, not just like on the outside looking in, you're exactly, like Exactly, I'm, I'm in it. So, uh, <laughs> so that's a thing where like, um, I'm not really gonna tolerate anyone being homophobic or transphobic, and I'm gonna speak out about that publicly because I feel like that's important. And mm -hmm. I also feel like the people who listen to my music know that about me, and so it's important to them to see that, you know? Uh, but um, I don't know if every single thought that I have about current events needs to be expressed on my personal social media because I don't, I'm not gonna talk about things I don't know about, I guess, yeah, yeah. you know? Like, I really know a lot about um, LGBT advocacy and rights and history and like that's something I'm educated on so I feel comfortable talking about it uh, but there's a couple other things where I'm like I don't know you know <laughs> like um, how should we solve the national debt I have no idea and I'm yeah. not gonna tell you because I don't know yeah. but uh, but um, that being said I also uh, have this thing where I um, think it's really important to uh, kind of actively choose happiness and positivity. If anyone doesn't enjoy my social media, it might be because it really is like pretty mostly positive place. Uh, and that's not because I'm ignorant to the state of the world or because I'm, uh, you know, blinding myself to anything bad that's going on, but I'm just sort of, despite the negative things in this world, choose to be a, a bright presence, you know, like, uh, and I kind of try to, um, even if I'm posting about something uh, political or serious um, or sad, I try to have some type of positive spin, like, here's a link where you can help if this upsets you too, or here are some things that you can do if you're feeling anxious or helpless in any type of way, like, um, I call that like a, a call to action. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, or um, a couple of times where I'm trying to think of what was even going on in the world, but um, you know, I I just I try to put some type of 
positive spin or call to action on what I do and say so that um, it doesn't feel so hopeless. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, that kind of ties into what I was saying before about like you kind of choose what you put in your world as far as social media goes. And uh, maybe there are people out there where I'm the only person they follow who's really saying anything positive and that could mean something to them, yeah. you know? That all being said, talking about separating the artist from the person, it's a tricky thing, you know? Uh, I have a good friend in town, Marcella Simeon. Uh, she's amazing, she's a full-time musician, and um, she really has sort of, in a sense, almost mentored me through the process of, uh, of becoming a full-time musician. We don't spend that much time together, but when I see her, she has a lot of great advice for me, I guess is what it is. And uh, one of the last times I saw her, I was like, Marcella, I really am trying to have better boundaries between my work life and my personal life. Uh, do you have any advice? And she was like, uh, yeah, find a different job. Like, this is not the job if that's what you want. Because uh, there are little things like, um, you know, it can feel like I'm never really off the clock. Like, if we return to our whole conversation about getting messages and DMs, like, I have a very small private Instagram account uh, that I'm not going to say the name of on this podcast because it's the whole purpose of it is that it's truly only, my, you know, it has like a hundred followers. It's just my close friends and my family. And I kind of switch to that account sometimes when I just want to look at memes or, you know, just be silly yeah, and like yeah. really use social media as not a tool for work, but more for pleasure, like yeah. more how most people use it. Because um, it's hard for me to relax on social media sometimes because I do use it for my job people do contact me all hours of the day and night about work on there um, I feel like I don't really get to clock out or clock off clock out what's the right word <laughs> don't really get to do that or um, another interesting side effect of becoming a full-time musician is it has changed my social life a lot um, I've always been a really friendly social person and I've always really loved going out, uh, but now, because I'm out at least once a week, if not, you know, on a really heavy week, maybe four times a week, I'm out performing. Mm -hmm. um, and that drains your social battery like crazy, because that, I think, is where the kind of mask on comes in, is like, if I'm out performing, I'm still myself. It's not like I'm a completely different person, but I kind of have to be like, the brightest, shiniest, happiest version of myself because I'm at work and my job is to be a performer and people don't really want to deal with any nasty bullshit when you're <laughs> performing, you know? Like, uh, you gotta kind of have a smile on it. Even if, like, someone's kind of creeping you out or kind of annoying you, like, you have to be like, okay, well, thank you so much. Like, great to see you, you know? And uh, the other thing about that is, um, I'm not uh, trying to sound like I think I'm a big deal or anything, because I'm... You're a big deal. You're only going to work Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is a big deal. But, uh, but you know, like, I, I think I've achieved some success locally. Outside of Memphis, no one really knows who I am, and that's fine. But it's made uh, going out a little different, too, because 
sometimes when I go out, people want to talk about music or someone who I might not know might recognize me from a show and want to talk and those are all things I really appreciate. I don't want to sound like I'm not grateful for that because I am, but it's almost, it's like the social media thing, but in real life, like if I just want to go out and like have a drink with my cousin or something, um, it can feel hard to do that without still being on, quote unquote, on, yeah. like uh, in that bright and shiny performance work mode, you know, like, uh, so, um, Weirdly, you might not expect this, I've become more of a homebody mm. since becoming a full-time performer because when I'm not performing, I really want to be in my own space. <laughs> and I need a lot more alone time than I used to because my job is so extroverted and so social. I've always considered myself an extrovert, and now I'm like, I really do need some alone time to recharge my yeah. battery. Like, it's... it's uh, it's not always easy, and it is definitely not a, I, I mean, I think uh, being a full-time artist of any kind requires a bunch of kind of customer service type energy that I think some people might not expect. And if you have any type of like temper or if you're not a patient person, it is not the job for you. Because, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, human interaction that you have to deal with, a lot of customer service type of interaction, and there's no buffer, you know? Like, I worked uh, retail for a long time when I was in college, and if someone is really irritating you, there's someone else that can help them, or you can get your manager or whatever. But for me, like I kind of explained before, I'm sort of a one-woman show here, like, I have to have a really long fuse, which thankfully I have. I'm a pretty calm person, pretty patient person. Uh, because uh, I'm not trying to say, like, I'm dealing with nightmares with people all the time either. Most of the people I deal with are super lovely. But I think anyone who's worked customer service knows that, like, every so often you're going to deal with someone who's a little difficult. Yeah. yeah. Be it uh, at a show, someone's maybe trying to talk to me for a little too long and not understanding that, like, I have things to do. But, like, <laughs> I, I have to be nice to them. And I want to be nice to them because I'm glad that they came out to the show. And I'm happy to see them. Uh, or, you know... If I'm selling merch, sometimes people can feel a little strange about that. I don't know. It's just working with people. People are strange, really, is the main thing. Uh, people are also wonderful and interesting and great, and I love people, but uh, I feel like this answer got away from me a little bit. No. It's, a, it's just a complicated thing. So to a degree, I have no separation between self and artist because I cheesy as it sounds, I write my songs from the heart, and I want to be myself and like express my values, but um, also that can be part of what's really challenging about it is that uh, there's a really blurred line between your personal life and your professional life. And I trip myself out sometimes because in a way I've sort of commodified my own self, my own personhood. Like, Louise Page is my, that's my name. That's not a stage name. Like, that is my true name that my mama gave me, you know? And uh, that's also my brand. And so uh, that just, that does, it kind of trips me out sometimes that I have commodified myself. Yeah. And I'm happy, I love my life, but uh, it's a strange thing in a lot of ways. And I would say the main difference between uh, artist Louise and, um, 
personal life, Louise is just sort of like, artist Louise is like me with the volume turned the whole way up, and I, uh, I'm not, you're not gonna see me sweat or like get angry or anything like that, really. Uh, it's, it's a weird balance, because you know, you also want to show people that you're a real person with real feelings and emotions and stuff, but uh, you can't do that too much, or it feels like, uh, you know, you don't want to seem like you're complaining or whining, or that your page that people are following for music is becoming like your diary. I don't know. That's something I'm still figuring out. I think I do okay at it, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. The the blurred line between self and business is tricky. It is. Because myself is my business. It is. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, do you think that there is a, a person that you have seen that does a good job at it, like in this area? Because it's it's one thing to see, you know, like a famous person doing something, but to have somebody in this area and like, how do I deal with the Memphians, like the people who are, you know, from this area? And if I go out to, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to go out to Corky's uh, or Rendezvous, there are popular barbecue spots, right. and then you've done a concert. And now, you know, somebody sees you eating out, you know, at a place like that, and they're, they're like, oh, that's Louise, so they want to come up and talk to you and stuff like that. Which I, mean, I'm, I encourage. I'm not saying any of this to discourage anyone from coming up and talking to me. It makes me really happy. Okay, so but you enjoy that. I do enjoy it, but it's um, it's draining at a certain point. Yeah. That's kind of, that's what's <laughs> made me more of a homebody. Uh, it's not that I don't enjoy talking to people. I genuinely do. Like, I would like to clarify that. Like, I, I really, uh, it makes me happy, It's it uh, builds me up, I feel supported, but um, but yeah, you know, everyone has a social battery and a certain am amount of energy that they have to expend on other people, and um, I'm just expending more of that than I used to, so I need a little bit more alone time. Uh, I guess people who do that well, this is what I think the tricky part is, is that uh, you, want to be open to people and you want them to see you as a human being, you know, but uh, you also don't want to come off as ungrateful in any type of way, you know, or at least that's the balance I'm trying to strike. Um, so uh, let me see here. People I follow in Memphis who do a good job of that. A lot of people, a lot of the people I already mentioned, um, do a good job of that. Uh, let me think here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a tricky one. Because um, a lot of people, I think, just kind of end up, if they struggle to balance that, they end up just making their main page really professional, like mm -hmm. really like, you might not even see their face on it, like it's just art or something like that. Which I admire in some ways, because uh, they probably have a little bit of a better separation going on <laughs> between yeah. their job and their life. Uh, but, um... And then there's also yeah. the factor of like them not even being the person controlling their, their page or something. That's true too, I mean, that's a real thing, you never know. Or uh, I got a DM once from someone, I forget the content of the DM, but it was asking me a question and then they were like, uh, thanks Louise, or whatever intern is reading this. I was like, 
I do not know what world you can <laughs> live in, but I am reading all of these things. Wow. Like I am, I hold the keys to my social media, me and me alone, like no one else is doing it. So uh, that's, a, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's, uh, it's tricky. And I'm lucky that I genuinely, like I said, I genuinely enjoy people and I genuinely enjoy social media because I know I have a lot of uh, people in my community who are very talented musicians um, who perhaps resent social media and mm -hmm. resent feeling that they need to have some type of social media presence in order to uh, advertise their art or music which I can relate to too I think uh, I always get a little uh, tiny tiny pang of jealousy when someone tells me they have no social media because that doesn't really feel possible for me right now. I, I know for a fact that as much as I just said, you know, Instagram's a tool I use and I don't work for it, it does generate income for me yeah. just in the fact that it's free advertising. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that stuff, I could talk about that for hours because it's really fascinating to me and there are, aren't any clear answers. Yeah. And that's the most interesting stuff to talk about. It's yeah. little shades yeah. of gray, like, I never know, you know. Uh, for Facebook, um, do you, well, how is your, uh, I guess like your, do you have a Louise uh, music page or, mm -hmm. so you have that and do you have your, like, your own personal page as well? I do, and, um, I do, yeah, so that's kind of interesting too because, uh, like on Instagram, I turned my personal page into the business page, right? Yeah that's not an option on Facebook. You have to make a whole separate yeah. business page, which the business page has now grown and is doing great on Facebook. But, um, I mean, that might even be, uh, Instagram's probably still where I get the most interaction, but uh, my personal Facebook page is probably close second to that because I've had it since 2009. You know, yeah. I've had it forever. And so I have a lot of friends on there and a lot of people from all walks of my life, sorry, on there. Uh, and I think more young people should use Facebook to advertise their business. I don't think people should count it out because uh, there are some people that only have Facebook. Um, and I, the, the people that I think are more active on Facebook than other social medias are people that are using social media mostly from a computer. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times that kind of translates into maybe a slightly older generation of people, yeah, yeah. or even um, people that don't have a smartphone, uh, or their smartphone, uh, like I have a really, really good friend who's my age who, um, you know, she's a new mom and she doesn't have a ton of money in her budget to be getting a brand new smartphone, so her phone is pretty old and it no longer works with Instagram, mm -hmm. you know? like. Instagram has sort of outgrown her phone. Like yeah. she updated Instagram and now it won't work on her phone. Oh, so she pretty much just uses Facebook. Anyway, there's a lot of people who Facebook is their only social media and I think I've kind of connected to uh, some people that might not have ever heard of me had I stayed purely on Instagram yeah. by using Facebook. And I'm really close with my family and they're spread out all over the place. Like my parents and siblings live in Pennsylvania still. My mom is from Tennessee, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, so uh, her mother still lives here, my grandmother lives here, but 
uh, I'll, I'll always be on Facebook because, you know, my parents are really proud of me and that's how they stay in touch with what's going on. They do not have Instagram. They don't know how to use it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, uh, I, uh, I, I really do have a soft spot for Facebook. I know that kind of seems, there seems to be a mass exodus from Facebook. I don't agree with all of their business practices, that's for sure. Like, yeah. some of that stuff with the Mark Zuckerberg trial was really freaky, honestly. But, um, but I have a soft spot for Facebook because it keeps me connected to my family and my hometown. Because uh, that's where a lot of my, you know, I'm still Facebook friends with a bunch of people from high school. And yeah, I, I do. I have a little soft spot for Facebook. Really do, yeah. But I always have this argument with people mm -hmm. that MySpace was better than Facebook. Yeah, I can't even argue because I didn't have a MySpace. <laughs> you missed out. Okay, yeah. so tell me all about it. <laughs> do you know anything about MySpace, or you just kind of like? Yeah, I know about MySpace. I do. I um, I know. Uh, I know kind of the stereotypical things about MySpace that there were a lot of like scene kids on there, and I know that you could sort of do your own coding to really personalize the page. Yeah. That's yeah. what made me feel like MySpace was better. It was more yeah. like a, it was more like a real web website for for yourself. Like it, right. it felt more like a profile than what mm -hmm. Facebook feels like. Right. But um, with MySpace, you could put like music on your page, and yeah. like people could see like the song. You put playlists on there. Yeah. People could see like all the music that you like and stuff like that. Which yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought it was super helpful because. Uh, I would go to some of my friends' pages, and even though we'd hang out together, I, di I didn't even know some of the music that they were putting on. I was like, oh, snap. So I would, like, go listen yeah. to that music. Now I got new music because somebody yeah. put me on that. It's pretty cool. And then you could – it this brought on a lot of fights, but you you could have a top friends. And so oh, you could yeah. put <laughs> – you could put, See, like – I already told friends. you I'm conflict avoidant, so that scares me. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty bad because you would come to school and – They'd be like, so and so has me on their top friends, but I'm not on this person's top friends. Yeah, people would just be upset. I'm sure I can only imagine. Yeah. But they had it to where I think, I think it started out with just like three or five, mm -hmm. and then they started adding on to it. And at one point, you could have like twenty top friends or something like yeah. that. And I was like, oh, they're catering to the people who probably got yelled. At. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe some people have a bunch of friends. You know, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I'm. You know, it's funny though because uh, I'm sure in like five years, Facebook will roll something out where you can play a song on your page. Probably as some new thing. There, there was although a, it's been happening forever. There was a MySpace. lot of things that MySpace had that Facebook like slowly started getting. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of like the uh, the difference between like Samsung and iPhone. Right. Because there would be like things that Samsung had that it, I feel like iPhone is more like Facebook and Samsung mm -hmm. is like MySpace because there were things that uh, Samsung phones have like uh, the swipe to text like you can move your finger yeah. over. and iPhone got that like years later right? Right. Like, it was like this new technology it's like Samsung Bing had that sounds like you have a Samsung yes <laughs> <laughs> but I I'm considering getting an iPhone because um, it's just a better phone like yeah. it, it's for sure I, Apple technology is way ahead of other technologies. The only problem is um, I like customization. I like to yeah. like, change things. Like as soon as I get it, I want to change. Like my background, I want to change. Ringtone, stuff like that. Right. I don't do that anymore. But um, Apple's like, no, this is a perfect phone. Don't mess with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, or even their laptops or whatever. They don't like to customize things. And you know, yeah. I have a, 
which for some people who don't know as much about technology, for them that's really user friendly. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, it's already done. Yeah. But for people that like to really get in there and MySpace it up, yeah. they're like. <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. was that was a crazy thing about again with uh, with MySpace. You were talking about how you can change everything. Just being able to customize it just felt like you were in control of it. But Facebook is kind of like a template. It's like, hey, yeah. you put this here, put that there, okay, you're done. But MySpace was like open world. And Facebook, it's the same as those other social medias. I, I mean, like I said, I'm super tr trigger happy with unfriending people because uh, people wild out on Facebook, I think more so than other social medias. Oh, yeah. People really go nuts <laughs> on there and say some crazy things. Yeah. Like, God. Have you ever like gotten into a like a true argument with somebody on Facebook? Oh man, um, I wouldn't say argument. I would say debate. Uh, I would say definitely a couple of times in college. About what? I, uh, um, you know, uh, I would guess if I had to guess, it's probably someone on there being homophobic in the name of science, and then me coming at them with some facts and them coming at me with their own facts, and yeah. you know, like. I really, why, why I say it would be more of a debate than an argument is like if, I really don't do this anymore, but if I were to engage with someone in that type of discourse, I mean, I'm going to come at you with like links to articles and like names of books and like, I'm going to really come at you with some facts, you know, uh, I think I'm good at arguing, <laughs> I really do, like uh, you can ask anyone I've ever dated, like I have an argument with me, <laughs> I'm a really good arguer. But uh, I just—it's just energy. I don't need to be expending, you know. Yeah. Like I don't—I don't do that anymore. Uh, I have a um, question for you. Okay, did you listen to any of my music? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Thought I just kind of skipped over. No, I just didn't know. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter either. I mean, I can't—I can't tell you like names and songs or anything. I just yeah. listened to it and I was like, oh, she's different. And, yeah. Well, cool. Um, yeah. I, I enjoy people who are just different. Like I enjoy. Yeah. I, I call it so. There's two different things. I call things weird and then I call things strange. If it, it's strange, if it, I don't know. It's, it, the strange is really hard for me to explain. But to me, weird is just like, you're just different. Like you're mm -hmm. not normal. And some people think of that as a bad term. Uh, I, I actually looked up the, the uh, origin of the word weird mm -hmm. and it came from, uh, it was like, like. For stuff like that. I, yes. I think it was something <laughs> like, uh, like witches, and they they called mm -hmm. it was like some sisters, and they called them the weird the sisters. Weird sisters. And um, I forgot like the actual like original term uh, of how it like changed into the, how we use the word weird today. Yeah. But it didn't mean like how people use it nowadays. But to me, I just use the word weird as like you're just you're not what everybody else expects, mm -hmm. and. I love weird people because Thank they're you. because they're <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I appreciate that um, I guess I'm trying to like if it's not very uh, subtle but I'm trying to like steer our conversation towards the music <laughs> a little bit because I really could talk about social media all day long oh, but, no. uh, but yeah no I appreciate that I think uh, I don't really know always what people are expecting if they haven't heard my music yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't know because I'm out here writing it but uh I know, I think some of the difference uh, just comes from my background as uh, being like a nerdy little band kid and like 
I loved being in marching band and I loved musicals and uh, just, you know, really was super, super into that yeah. world. And then I grew up and like uh, discovered um, music, like modern music that I really loved too. And growing up, you know, my parents listened to like Bruce Springsteen and the Beatles and Al Green and a lot of kind of like classic, yeah. really well-liked classic soul and rock music was sort of like what they liked to listen to. So I think that influenced it. I think that my personal love of musical theater and band and orchestra arrangements influenced it. Uh, and then then the third like element into that mix is like growing up and uh, I don't know if you know any of these artists, but like uh, St. Vincent, it was, she really inspires me and she's more like rock, but uh, it's like indie rock and she writes all her own songs and she's amazing at the guitar. I love Fiona Apple. Uh, uh, <laughs> look them up, yeah. yeah really. uh, Fiona Apple's more from the 90s, but she's great okay. too. Um, so I guess when I was, uh, and I, I've written my own songs forever. I mean, yeah. I've played the piano since I was five years old and I've been writing little songs on it pretty much since then. Okay. I'm not gonna say the ones I wrote when I was five were good at all. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, um, that was such a huge part of my identity. Like all growing up, I was like a music kid, band geek, whatever. So when I went to college and moved down here, I guess I kind of wanted to explore another side of my identity and like really get involved with learning. And I was an English major in college and was really involved with like reading and writing and learning about all of that type of thing. But still played the piano, still wrote songs, but just truly just for myself. I think some of that was some insecurity too. Yeah. That I was still growing up and becoming confident, and uh, you know, it's it's a t it's a tough thing to do to play someone a song that you've written mm -hmm. for the first time. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's because uh, it's so personal. Um, anyway, so all of those things combined, uh, I think, are kind of what make up my sound, and it helps that. Uh, everyone in my band has a similar background to me, like they all have this sort of like band or orchestra background, so we kind of speak the language, if that makes sense. We all know music theory and I can kind of uh, speak to them using maybe some band terms or whatever and, and it'll make sense to them. Uh, and I think the sounds I'm trying to create make sense to them too, so lucky that I really get along with my band and we all vibe with the music we're trying to make um but uh i appreciate that you say it's unique really the so i have the band influence and then the artists that really influence me like they might not even quite sound like my music but what influences me is uh good lyrics mm -hmm. my lyrics really matter to me a lot um and i listen to lyrics in other people's songs like yeah. i try to avoid cliches as much as I can and uh, want to write something that will pique people's interest and make them want to listen to it again so that they can hear the words again. Yeah. You know? Um, I like, and I like, uh, I'm inspired by a lot of female vocalists and I'm also really inspired by people where part of their deal is that they are also incredibly talented at their instrument of choice. So like I play the piano and that is a big part of a lot of my songs and that's me playing the piano in all the songs yeah. so that really inspires me too when it's like okay not only is this person 
a really great singer or a really great songwriter, but they shred at the guitar mm -hmm. or whatever it is that they do. So that's kind of trying to take that and put it on the piano. So is yeah. are you performing as you or you perform as the band or both? Both. So, so it's both. the whole thing started, um, I go by Louise Page as uh, my name, partly because that's kind of what I want, like, uh, but I started out as a complete solo act um, in, I think I played my first ever uh, show by myself in 2016, uh, and I was going by Louise Page, and it was just me on a keyboard. Super briefly had a duo going on um, with a guy who plays upright bass. And uh, we went by Carmen and Paige. Carmen was his last name, Paige was my last name. That didn't last for very long. Uh, he uh, went on a big trip that was like months long and it just sort of fell apart. We just stopped playing music together. But So I went back to solo Louise Page, billing myself as Louise Page. And then in 2017, I recorded my first EP and got a little group of people together to play on the EP because I've always heard horn and string and drum parts to my songs, uh, or thought of them in this bigger context, but was just performing them on the piano. And part of, I think, why I love the piano is because you can create these really huge sounds with it. You know, you have ten fingers, you can be playing ten different notes at once if you really want to. Like, you can make huge sounds on the piano, so I love that about it. So I get this group of people together to record the EP, and then it kind of snowballs into, well, would y'all like to play these songs with me at the show where we're releasing the EP, and um, a couple of people in my band, um, the trumpet, saxophone, and violin players, are all from that original group of people who recorded on the first awesome. EP. Yeah, I really love my band, like, they are great, great, great people. Um, so then, uh, flash forward to 2018 we're recording our second EP and a couple people in my life were like is it weird that you're still being billed as Louise Page because you have this band and I was like <laughs> I, I had never thought about it I was like I don't really think it's weird yeah. there's a lot of artists that do that that go by their name but they have a band um, but uh, this is when I super bonded with my band I like brought it to them and I was like does this I don't want anyone to feel like they're being shortchanged mm -hmm. or unappreciated like should we, I guess my thought was to come up with some type of band name that was like Louise Page and the Parchment or something, <laughs> I don't know what, like some, you know, band thing. And all, all of them, all five of them were like, no, like, it's Louise Page, like, that's, that's the band. Like, you write all the songs, you sing all the songs. So that was cool, I felt very supported by them on that. But, uh, uh, I, yeah, I just bill myself as Louise Page. Um, I'll generally say in the advertising if it's a full band or a solo show. Uh, but I think actually that it's ended up being really great for my branding and my advertising too because uh, whether I'm doing a solo set at a piano lounge or playing a big giant show with my whole band, you're still searching the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I like that I build the same way. I hope it doesn't confuse anyone too much. But How do you find your I, band members? Uh, so, okay, so, um, let me think about this. How do, so I've got, uh, I somehow knew Michael Lorenzi is my saxophone player. I'll give them all little shout-outs. <laughs> Michael Lorenzi is my saxophone player. 
And I knew him somehow, I couldn't even tell you now, because now it's so like, he's in the band, that's mm-hmm. how I know him. But I knew him through some mutual friends, and um, I think even the studio I was recording at recommended, like, oh, you should ask Michael to play saxophone. Um, so he played uh, saxophone on that first album, and Anne Elizabeth Craig plays violin. And I knew her through, we have a couple of mutual friends, like a couple of close mutual friends, she and I didn't know each other that well. We're now super close friends, which is really cute. We've kind of befriended each other through the band. Uh, so uh, I kind of knew the two of them through mutual friends. And then uh, the drummer and bassist on that first album were also just friends. They're not the drummer or bassist I have now. And guitar uh, is Calvin Lauber, the same guy who records my stuff. Um, if you hear any guitar on the recorded tracks, that's him playing guitar. And every once in a while, he'll join us for a live performance too. He works full time as an audio engineer, so he can't always do that. But once in a blue moon for like a big show, he'll play guitar with us. So then um, we kind of had trouble locking down a drummer or bassist. Um, and the drummer and bassist we ended up with now, you know. Uh, a couple years later are uh, Michael Todd plays drums. There's two Michaels in the band. And I uh, I know him from college. He was a couple years older than me, but I knew him from college. He started playing with us back in 2018. And then in 2019, we got a bassist named Gunter, who I also know from college. Um, and then I skipped over something. Uh, oh, you want to do a little bit? So Michael Lorenzis plays the saxophone. And then... Um, he was the only one who recorded on that first album in 2017. Um, but then for that live show, he was like, hey, I know a couple of guys who play horn who I think that would be great to include on the show so we can get some harmonies going. And I was like, okay, cool. So he introduced me to uh, Jawan Crawford, who plays trumpet and still plays trumpet in our band, and Victor Sawyer, who plays trombone, who no longer plays with us, but did record on one of our albums go on a tour with us and play with us for about a year. And he and I are still friends. So, not a super interesting answer, but it kind of just all came together. And I feel really lucky that um, I have a band that I really love and respect and get along well with. Um, there's not a lot of drama there. It's it's really good. We have a lot of fun. I actually yeah. asked because, you know, as I said, I've been trying yeah. to find music people in the area oh, cool, to yeah. work with. But uh, I actually hit up, so there's a... Uh, I, I pretty much do like rap music and that's about it like right mm-hmm. now um, I've been trying to get into like different genres that's why I was like hoping to meet you and be able to work oh, with cool. you sometime but yeah. there's <laughs> this one guy I tried to get him on the podcast and he, he actually ended up signing with uh, Rock Nation Jay-Z's label that's cool good and, for him but um, yeah. I asked him to get on the podcast and he ended up texting me like the day before the day of like yeah I can't come <laughs> I was like, okay, but then I found that out. I was like, oh, yeah, he's probably okay. pretty, pretty busy. Yeah, damn, that's really cool though. Yeah. That's very cool. But it's 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 been difficult, I will say the least, to find people to like actually work with and stuff like that. Because I mean, I do all my stuff here. Is see my computer and I've got. You've got a cool setup though. Yeah, I mean, I've Neat. I've got two MIDI keyboards actually. So I went to Full Sail University for uh, mm-hmm. audio production. That's cool. So I actually started doing my music before that. I started doing music around 2017 and 
learned a lot from my friend Leek and after um, I did all that for let's see in 2000 December 2018 I started Full Sail University and then I learned a good bit from Full Sail not a ton um, I did 10 straight months I think I think it's 10 straight months so they gave me like a certificate for audio production but uh, I was going to get my bachelor's in it but I already have a bachelor's in business management so I was just literally cool. doing it for fun yeah that's cool <laughs> and, though uh, to learn yeah. But, um, yeah. So then I started um, doing that, and I've found two people that I actually still keep in contact with from school. Uh, one is DeAndre Porter. He goes by Fly Pilot D. We've made a song. We made multiple songs together. But um, he actually lives in New Orleans, and he I drove down to New Orleans and hung out with him, and we made some music. And then he came up here. We made some music and uh, we actually made a video together as well. Yeah. But um, it's it's so difficult to not only find somebody to make music with, but also like somebody that has the same mindset that you have. Yes. The mindset thing yeah. is how when you're in the same room together, you got that same energy, and everybody's just on the same page, and then you're able to just just go. Like yeah. things are just flowing. I think a lot of it is like a respect thing too. Yeah. I uh, think it would be really hard to make music with someone who you didn't respect as a musician. Yeah. Where are you gonna go? Like you don't, you don't want, you know. And uh, I think that might kind of be, um, first of all, like everything you're saying. I I feel really blessed that I have this instrument that's so important to me, the piano. I've been yeah. playing it, you know. I. I tell people I've been playing it for over 20 years, and then they look at me and I feel like they think I'm lying. It's like, no, I've been playing it for 21 That's years. Wow. Like, I uh, I really love the piano, and um, there's, I love it too because it's like, this is, uh, I think any craft or instrument is like this, but it's like lifelong learning. Yeah. Like, I still have so much I could learn on the piano. Yeah. Um, but because I have that instrument, when I first got started, it, like I said, it was just me. Like, it truly was just me and a keyboard. Um, so I think sometimes you do have to do stuff by yourself and kind of show people what you got to get them interested in working with you. Um, on top of that, I really, really respect everyone in my band as a musician. Like, I think that they are all incredibly talented musicians. And while I write the songs that I write, you know, I, I come to them with a piano part and lyrics and usually a pretty strong concept of how I want the song to sound and where I want them to play. Uh, the, they write their own parts to a degree, or it's kind of a collaborative thing where they'll come up with something and we'll tweak it or... Um, I'll either be like, that's great, or I'll be like, really, I, I really don't want you to play there, I'd rather you play here, or I was more thinking something like this, but... Could you actually um, go in depth on that? Because me, yeah. as a, so I make my own beats, sure. and then I write my own lyrics, Yeah. and then that's a song right there. Yeah. But Which, for a band, it's different. So, um, <laughs> Explain that whole process, because I don't get it, yeah, and I so, respect it so much. I think that this is where, I, I'm the youngest person in my band, too. Oh, okay. Actually, now that we have Gunter playing bass, I think he's a couple months younger than me, but we're about the same age. But before um, he joined the band, I'm the youngest person in the band by a couple of years. So, um, it, it honestly really touches me that they all really do respect me as the 
band leader and uh, as a musician, you know, uh, that is really touching. And you do, I mean, if you want to be a musician and you want to be a performer, even on like a local level or, you know, I'm trying to go for a bigger level, but just where I'm at right now, like, you need such a thick skin because people are mean. <laughs> and uh, also, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, I've seen just one-off. I get way more support than hate. But, you know, I have seen things that people probably never thought I would see. Of people saying, like, oh, she's not even good, whatever. So uh, having my band, like, really respect and support me is super important to me because I really respect them. You know, I think that they are all really talented musicians so that they respect my musicianship is means the world to me um so like i said we all kind of have this band background and in fact a couple of uh people in the band work at stacks or as a music teacher in some other respect yeah like uh um michael todd my drummer uh works at Stax with percussion and teaches percussion to kids. Juwan Crawford, my trumpet player. Oh, Stax a recording um, studio? Um, I'm, well, I don't, I think I'm thinking of... Oh, you were talking about this pancake place. <laughs> uh, no, I'm thinking of, I don't even think I'm talking about the recording studio. I'm talking about Stax Music Academy. Oh, That's what okay. I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. I was confused for a second. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, no, no, not the pancake place. <laughs> and then uh, Jawan, my trumpet player, I mean, he plays trumpet in like three other bands, you know, maybe even more than that, and uh, teaches as well. So, okay, so anyway, that is the first thing that's really helpful is like we all speak the same language. And I'm not even saying that like you need to read music or know a bunch of music theory or have a band background to be in a band, but like, you, if you're trying to collaborate with people, you want to make sure that you're all on the same page. Yeah. Uh, and you all sort of know uh, what you're talking about. I think the biggest mistake that people make in collaborative settings is pretending they know something they don't know. Like, I'll be the first person to be like, what does that mean? I'm sorry. Like, like for example, because my background is on classical piano and in a band, a literal marching band, I, in a lot of ways, am still playing catch up when it comes to recording technology or, uh, you know, running sound at a show, like anything that has to do with like electronics and music. Yeah. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm, past couple of years I've learned a lot, but, you know, I'll be the first person to say like, I don't know how to do this, please tell me. Uh, so. I think that's really important, knowing what your area of expertise is and knowing what it isn't. Like, having said that, I'm also not interested in having someone tell me something about playing the piano if they don't know what they're talking about, because I'm like, yeah. I really know a lot about this, you know, whatever. <laughs> so you got to kind of uh, have confidence where you need it and humility where you need it, right? So when I bring a song to my band, I usually send them a recording of it, of me singing and playing it first, so that they can kind of have it in their head. And then um, if they want it, I'll send them the lyrics and the chords as well. Usually the chords is kind of all they need, like the chord structure. Um, and then, um, I can even, well, we're on a podcast, so maybe I shouldn't show you anything visual, but like, uh, <laughs> um, like, the yeah, like I can, but I can show you later in my phone notes. I do a lot in my phone notes. Um, I'll have for a song, I'll have maybe even like 
I'll show you something. Uh, some songs you could listen to for inspiration or like, um, here we go. Uh, so, oh, thank you very much. Sorry, podcast listeners, you can't see my rings either. <laughs> so she's got <laughs> like this, this snake ring on. Is, yeah. is that a school? There's a keyhole, a bug, oh, a uh, kind of more regular ring, and a snake. Okay, so like, see this song, we've got the inspo that's like a couple of maybe actual songs and like the vibe we're going for, the instrumentation we're going for. It's pretty in depth. It is in depth. I think about this stuff that's pretty, pretty cool. in depth. So, um, and that really came from the fact that we were going to record that song too. So you really need to know yeah. what you're working with. But um, I, I know that my band appreciates this particular thing because most of them have individually come to me and told me this. But what I tell them all when we're learning the song is like, I'll be like, okay, Anne Elizabeth, you play the violin. I don't play the violin. So like, I'm not going to tell you exactly how to play it or get super nitpicky about the exact part that you write for the violin because ultimately that's your instrument and you're an expert on it, right? So like whatever I write, um, I guess really what I'm thinking about too is just the actual mechanics of playing instruments. It's different than making digital music. Yeah. So you can write something that might feel like you might think it would sound good or on paper it sounds good, but when that person actually goes to play the trumpet or the violin or whatever, you've written something that's really technically difficult for them, or perhaps even unnecessarily so. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I don't know. And I don't play those instruments, so I'm like, I'm not going to, uh, you know. So more what I'll do is I'll come to them with the song and the inspiration for the song and the vibe and all of that, and then I'll be like, okay, you know, this part of the song during this bridge, I really want um, to have a cool interplay between the piano and the violin. Uh, so... Maybe Anne Elizabeth will come to rehearsal with something kind of in mind, and we'll work through it together. Uh, and I'm pretty honest with them. If something is not what I'm looking for, not what I wanted, I'll be like, no, like that's not what I want here. Yeah. Or if they play something that hadn't even entered my head, but I love it, I'll be like, yes, keep doing that. But uh, you know, I uh, give them a framework, and then they sort of write their own parts. Uh, or we write them together. Um, you know, we might play through the song a couple times and they're just sort of jamming on it, or they come up with a cool horn line. Um, and then really, I think, when the song starts to super come together is when you play it live, which yeah. is really scary for a new song. Because <laughs> it's like, oh God, like, you know, you the, the kinks aren't necessarily fully worked out, yeah. you know, uh, but... How often um, are you playing a song before you actually like play it live my poor band it totally depends I've I've really sprung stuff on them before like we haven't learned a new song in a couple months because I released this full length album last summer yeah. and I'm still writing songs and I have songs to teach them but uh, we've kind of been focused on really perfecting those songs from the album but uh, definitely in the past there have been situations where like I write a song and I'm really excited about it and I'm like hey, I know this show's in like three days, but uh, can we learn this song? <laughs> like, oh I think God. it's really good. But uh, it totally depends, too. Like, different shows have different levels of pressure. If yeah. we're playing a house show, mm. I mean, come on. Like, or 
that's different than a show where someone is paying me a guaranteed amount of money and it's like we're expecting a certain number of people to be there. Like, I really don't think, unless I was feeling crazy confident about it, I would put anyone through playing a brand new song at a show where we're, that's more professional, where we're getting paid a bunch of money or whatever, but uh, not that we ever get paid a bunch of money. But, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's a different, uh, there's different, I guess, stress levels or like professionalism levels. Like, we're, or I'm in an interesting place where like, I still play house shows, but I'm also like, playing at Mid-South Hemp Fest this year, like some festival type of things locally. I saw you were in yeah. Chicago. That was a cool thing. Yeah, yeah that's a whole different beast. Uh, so part of how I'm able to be a full-time musician is that I have a bunch of side hustles that all are still involved with music. So that's oh, why I'm okay. still like, yeah, I'm a full-time musician. Like I teach piano lessons. I also have a ukulele student. I play the ukulele, oh, teach her ukulele. Nice. And um, I play solo piano locally at this place called Zebra Lounge, um, which is a piano bar in Overton Square. And it's a little bit different than anything I would be doing with my band or even for a solo performance because I'm not really playing originals there for the most part. It's uh, I, I'm playing covers on the piano. People can make requests. I get tips in the bar pays me a certain amount of money to play there. And I usually make pretty great money in tips. So that is sort of like, uh, that kind of supports me paying my bills and investing money into the uh, songs that I write, which is what I really, really care about. Um, so anyway, when I first started at Zebra Lounge, which I'm, I love working there, by the way, like it is so fun. It is, a, it is. You should come by sometime when I'm playing. There's no cover. It's a, it's a bar, really, you know? It's like a lounge bar type of place, but the energy in there is just so good. It is a really happy place for me. Like, I love that place. And they have uh, live piano music every single night. Um, they're kind of doing it in, like, the tradition of a speakeasy or something. And I'm grateful for them, too, because I think it's made me a better musician because the shifts are pretty long. You do get to take breaks, but they're five-hour-long shifts, and... It just made me a better performer and musician because it's a different type of performance. You know, people are requesting songs, and so you maybe have to play a song you've never played before on the fly. I have a little app that'll give me the chords to songs, so I'm not doing it totally on the fly. But I mean, there's still a lot of improvisation involved, and like that's impressive. It's it's hard. Thank you. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's a tricky thing. Like you have to know a lot of music, be good at the piano, be a good singer, and again, this. Uh, quality I was talking about earlier of patience comes into play because you're dealing with drunk people, uh, you know? <laughs> God bless, but like that's a whole thing. So um, anyway, love the Zebra Lounge. And when I first started playing there, they told me the original Zebra Lounge is in Chicago. If you ever want to play in Chicago, you can. So it's not a chain. There's just one other Zebra Lounge in Chicago. Yeah. So eventually uh, the opportunity arose for me to travel to Chicago. I had a good friend that was already traveling to Chicago to tattoo, they're a tattoo artist, and they didn't want to go alone, and I was like, oh my god, well, I'll go, and it can be for work, because they have a zebra lounge up in Chicago as well. Uh, so I went up there and played for three nights at that zebra lounge, and I'm so glad I did, because it was really cool. Uh, the zebra lounge in Chicago is from the 1920s, so it was originally a true speakeasy yeah. during Prohibition. It's the second 
bar in Chicago to get a liquor license, which makes it the second oldest bar in Chicago. Wow. And it's a little bit more of a hole in, a wall, in the wall than the Zebra Lounge in Memphis is. They are, you can tell that the Zebra Lounge in Memphis was super inspired by the one in Chicago. The decor is really, really similar, but the one in Chicago is smaller, and you can tell it's older, and um, it was just cool to go up there and meet the guy who owns both of the bars and uh, play in the original Zebra Lounge. And the story behind Zebra Lounge coming to Memphis is a longtime bartender at the Zebra Lounge in Chicago moved to Memphis and was basically like, I really think that the Zebra Lounge model would work here in Memphis too. And like in Chicago, there are other piano bars that are pretty competitive with the Zebra Lounge. Memphis doesn't really have other piano bars. There are restaurants that maybe have piano music playing. Um, and there's Silky O'Sullivan's downtown has like the dueling pianos, but it's still not quite the same. Like this is truly like a piano bar yeah and it is so cool and I love playing there but it's kind of like a little bit different than my other performance because it's uh, it's a lot of covers and I don't have my band with me uh, yeah I mean do you, but it's fun do yeah. you uh, do you get a chance to play stuff that you're I guess like working on by yourself and do you feel comfortable with that because that that can be kind of sketchy because you play something for like a group of people mm -hmm. and you know playing in Chicago you're not playing for people who know you and stuff like that in Memphis and you go right. out there and play a song that you've been working on it's like I don't know if they're gonna like this or not <laughs> I don't think I would play a song that I was working on at the Zebra Lounge mm -hmm. I really don't because they are paying me to you know they're not really paying me to go up there and workshop my music they're yeah, paying yeah. me to like play Tiny Dancer, you know, like that's <laughs> kind of more the energy. But um, I do play original songs that are already like fully formed, recorded and released songs. Uh, I, I'll, I play those there sometimes because uh, we, I get a lot of freedom on what I play. Like I take requests, but I mean, no one's forcing me to do anything. I can play whatever I want really. But um, sometimes someone I know will show up and request one of my originals or sometimes I just kind of feel like I can sneak one in here or there. Um, but I don't think that would be a place where I would bring a song that was just a little baby fledgling song. I would bring that more so to my band or even like close friends, like, yo, I'm working on something, I think it's kind of cool, can I play it for you? That type of thing. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Time will tell. Maybe <laughs> someday that will happen. So yeah. back to your college days, how yeah. was that as far as like, so you said you were English major, right? Uh-huh. So did you feel like that kind of crafted who you are as an artist? Like just, first of all, the college environment, you know, mm -hmm. the people you're around and like what you're doing or whatever, as well as, um, you know, what you majored in in school as far as like art. Like art is... I feel like it's something that's lost in young people nowadays. Like they don't really understand how impactful it can be. And I don't think it's their fault. I think adults, quote unquote, um, of an older generation don't realize how much that can impact kids. Uh, there are becoming like more schools and stuff geared toward art. But like yeah. when you're in college, you're like living away from your parents and stuff like that. And you're around a bunch of people your age. So 
ideas can just swarm you. Yeah. So being a musician in college, I think, would be the best. I didn't really do music at all when I was in college. So. Right. Well, I kind of didn't either. I College was interesting for me. Um, to be honest with you, it was a really tough period of time in my personal life. Uh, I really had a hard time in college, not necessarily scholastically, but like in my personal life, I was having a really hard time. Uh, had a couple of really bad relationships and not just bad, like, oh, darn it, that was bad, but you know, like yeah. dangerously bad relationships. And um, I had a lot of people I really loved in my life who were doing a lot of drugs. I had a couple friends die of drug overdoses. I, I was just having a really hard time in college. I was really going through a lot. So I didn't really, uh, I think, I told you I, that, that I played a lot of music and was in a band and all of that in high school. Um, in college, I would go to the practice rooms on campus and play the piano by myself. But I, I mean, a lot of people I was friends with in college didn't even know that I played music. <laughs> Seriously, because I, uh, I was going through a lot, and I think this is why art is really important. Like, if you want to be a full-time artist and make that your career, like, that's beautiful and that's great, but when I was in college, that wasn't on my mind at all. Like, it was a, an emotional outlet for me, you know, writing songs and playing the piano. It wasn't really for anyone else. It was really just for me. And at the time, as you know, this often goes hand in hand with having a hard time. I, my self-esteem was pretty low, so I didn't really, I mean, I really didn't think anyone would be interested in hearing <laughs> what I was writing. Truly, I didn't. And um, I was really hard on myself, too. I'm still my own worst critic, but, yeah. you know, I was too hard on myself. I was like, I didn't think I was good enough to play music full time. And I'm really feel really lucky that I got a lot of support and encouragement when I did first start playing music out and about that kind of encouraged me to keep going. But um, what I'm really grateful for, uh, even though it was a really, really hard time in my personal life, I'm grateful for those experiences in some ways because, uh, you know, uh, a lot of art was born of that pain. That's like the best thing I yeah. think you can do with pain is like, it made me a better person, it made me more able to relate to other people's pain, and it uh, made me a better artist. So even though it was a hard time, and it was definitely not a very productive time for me as far as like my musical career, it was in some ways. I was like my, I was a little seed, you know, yeah, yeah. planted. But um, what I'm grateful for, so grateful for, is that I was a creative writing major in college. And if you, if uh, anyone out there has ever been any type of writing or art major, a big part of that is critiques. So, you know, you write your short story or your poem or whatever it is, and then part of the class is people critiquing your work. Usually it was done anonymously, and then after the critique you would be like, that was mine, whatever, but uh, that I think was really important to me because it killed my ego a little bit <laughs> in a way that needed to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I got my feelings hurt a couple times in college with these critiques, whatever, but uh, it really ingrained in me this uh, concept of, first of all, things need to be edited and reworked. You're not gonna make something perfect on the first try, yeah. you know, and people are gonna 
really hear that if there's like thought and working and reworking that goes into something there is something that can be nice about just a very raw like improv one-off type of thing that's true but you know editing is a really important part of the writing process whether you're writing words or music or lyrics or whatever you're writing um, and that kind of got me comfortable with sharing my art with people because like I said I was sort of insecure about that and I think that sharing uh, my poetry and stories and whatever with people and getting a lot of positive feedback was important like okay people want to hear what I have to say so I think that's actually my biggest takeaway from college was uh, my embryonic stages of like going through a lot in life and sort of having to grow up and like get stronger and yeah. use art as an outlet for that but then also I was a creative writing major and I, I mean I use that all the time the editing and workshopping that I learned doing that I bring to my music and that's part of too why I care about my lyrics so much like any song that I have recorded, I mean, those lyrics have probably been edited 20 times. Like, really? I, every single word, like, not a single word is unintentional. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I really care, like, I really do. And really, a big thing I care about is cliches. Like, I uh, do not want to release a song that's all cliches that we've all heard a million times in a million other songs. Yeah, yeah. So I, I let myself write the song, or the po a lot of them start out as poems, mm. just totally, however, it turns out like I write it. Then the first edit that I go through is usually I'm going through and looking for cliches. Like uh, one that I can remember from my last album is uh, there was this line that was like, isn't life funny, isn't life grand? And I was like, that's just kind of cliche. <laughs> you know, like that's just sort of like a platitude that we've all heard and it doesn't really mean anything to me personally. So. I deleted it and made that lyric something different. Uh, there, that's not to say that there are zero cliches in my songs, but if there is one in there, it's I thought about it and decided that that was the best lyric for that spot. Because sometimes you can also overdo it and kind of it comes off as like you're trying too hard. Yeah. Like people who speak like they're reading from a th from a thesaurus, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> I don't want to come off like that either, but man, I really do think about my lyrics really hard, and then uh, that's usually what I write first, is the lyrics. And then that will kind of inform the chords and the tune and the mood and the vibe of the song. So are yeah. you making your are you coming up with like melodies and everything in your head and then you write the lyrics or are you doing lyrics and then you write the melodies or is a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. I would say most of my songs start off as lyrics and then I'll kind of sit down at the piano and come up with a chord pattern and come up with a melody but every so often I would say very rarely is it a thing where like I have a cool melody that I then add lyrics to. Really? It either starts with the lyrics or they come to me together. Hmm. Like, I, uh, like, more things than I'd like to admit, there are a couple of arguably my catchiest hooks or whatever are just, I, I like sing all the time. I sing to my cat, I sing in the shower, <laughs> singing all the time. And there are a couple of things I've written just singing in the shower where I'm like, wait a minute, like, okay, I need to write that down because yeah, yeah. that's really good. Like, I have this 
this song on the album I released last summer called Snakeskin, and the chorus is like, um, I'm shedding my snakeskin, you're never gonna touch me ever again. I wrote that in the shower. Like, <laughs> uh, I just was singing that in the shower, uh, that, just that chorus, over and over again. That's and I was like, awesome. this is really catchy, like, I have to write it down. Yeah. So then the uh, little verses in that song or whatever, I wrote after the fact. But then if you go and listen to that song, most of the song is just that one catchy little hook yeah. that I wrote. Uh, so some stuff comes to me pretty easily like that. Some things I edit over and over and over again. Um, every song is different. Every song I think I write a little bit differently, but I think the most common process would probably be writing a poem which usually happens when I'm upset. Like I said, it's like a way to process emotions. So I'm trying to work on writing some happier songs. Because <laughs> a lot of them are sad or angry because mm. I write them when I'm upset. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but regardless, uh, I'll write something and then kind of let it sit for a while. And then I'll return to it and see if I can come up with a song out of it. And so I have a lot of writing that's sort of maybe could be a song in the future, but for now it's just kind of chilling. Yeah. I, I really do write all the time and some of it is not good but uh, the good thing about a, writing all the time is you can kind of pick out the gold <laughs> from the from the bowl. Do you have a ton of songs that you've like finished out writing and you just haven't came up with the music for it yet? Um, uh, I definitely have some of those. I don't know what your definition of a ton is but I definitely have probably like I, I said, I do a lot in my phone notes just because yeah. I always have my phone. So yeah. if I need to write something down really quick, that's where it ends up. I would say I have maybe seven to ten full sets of lyrics that need to have music put to them. That's a lot. Or, that's a full album. <laughs> yeah, or really a lot of those too, it's that I'm not happy with the lyrics yet. Yeah. Like there's something in them where I'm like, I, don't, I just don't know yet if I like those lyrics. Uh, and then outside of that, I mean, maybe... 20 to 30 just fragments yeah. like maybe it's just a chorus of something that's that wild. I like it yeah I, yeah so I spend a lot of time writing and I've, that's I've wild. been like I've I mean that's kind of why I was a writing major in college because I've always loved to write yeah I think that that full circle back that is very helpful to me on social media too yeah. and this is totally discounted a lot of social media is being able to express yourself clearly and concisely. Like, that's hard. Yeah. That's a skill, you know, like, I'm not always good at it, but uh, I, I do think that one of my strengths is writing, and uh, that is a big element to social media. Not even just on Twitter, like, on Facebook and Instagram, like, the caption matters as much as the image they go hand in hand yeah you know and you can have an image that's so strong that the caption doesn't really matter or a caption that's so strong that the image doesn't really matter but for the most part they go hand in hand and especially if you're trying to advertise something to people that's a tricky one like to try to advertise something to people without them feeling annoyed yeah. <laughs> you know so uh so anyway writing is really important to me and i write all the time and uh yeah, I really do probably have a whole EP in my head right now, but I'm trying to, uh, I think this time with this EP, I'm gonna do things a little differently because uh, I have two EPs and an album out, right? And uh, 
the, all three of those, my band was kind of learning the songs in the studio <clears throat> as we wrote them. Um, and a couple of songs, I feel like, have evolved to an even cooler place throughout live performances and rehearsals than the recorded version. Nothing is that different, truly, but like, there's a couple songs that I think we've even improved on since we recorded them. So I think for whatever I record next, um, I'm going to teach them to my band and perform them live for a few months before I record them. Okay. I don't know why I haven't done that in the past, honestly, but, uh, but it's, I think it'll be better in a lot of ways. I think it'll kind of help us really understand the song before we record it, and it'll just save me some time in the studio. It'll be less of like workshopping the song and more of like we kind of already know Where you what we're trying to do. I record at Young Avenue Sound in Cooper Young. Avenue Sound. Okay. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. You you would love it because it's full of cool gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just haven't been to any studio around here. I've, you I've, should check it out. I, I know um, last year Young Avenue Sound did an open house. I don't know if they're doing one this year, but if they are, I will I will let you know about it. Cool. It's a pretty cool place. Wow. They're super nice there too. Shoot. Oh, um, when you have all your songs put together um, for your albums, are you are you trying to figure out like which ones belong together, or are you like I've got these done, so these are going to go on this album? Because like your music, yeah. I think is a little more focus, if that makes sense. It's it's not it's not very widespread as far as like. Uh, how many different categories it can fit in. You've, you've got your own lane. You're not trying to, you know, go everywhere with it. So does, are you are your songs just like, all right, we finished these 10 songs, this is an album, or this is an album? Yeah. I'm so interested that you say that. I'm interested in what category you would say it goes into, because I struggle with that, because I do think it's, I think there's like punk and rock and blues and singer-songwriter and pop, and like, I struggle to, Categorize it. I would honestly. Just yeah, honestly. you just wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, okay, well that's cool. Too. Yeah. You're Louise yeah. Page. At the end of the day, you're Louise Page. I, I put it. It's a uh, categorized under pop because I have really? to pick something to put yeah, it on yeah. Spotify and uh, and iTunes because pop is pretty a pretty overarching category. I would say indie pop if I really had to pick a category. But okay. uh, but there is a lot going on. That's. I also think some people hear pop and where their mind would go is not exactly the music yeah. I'm making. I mean, stuff. they're thinking like. Uh, Bruno Mars or like Taylor Swift right. that kind of stuff like it's not I don't know to me I pop music I don't listen to it like mm -hmm. I listen to I love artists like you like un underground people is what they call it like mm -hmm. a lot of rap in the rap industry that's like underground rap and stuff like that I listen to a lot of people that aren't that famous because I don't know I feel like their music is more from their heart and from their soul. Yeah, well, and if you really start getting into it, like, they're... They wrote their lyrics themselves? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, if you look at, like, like I saw this thing. You would probably be interested in this. It was someone redid the Coachella poster, but instead of um, the artist's names, they had what label they were represented by. Oh, wow. And it ended up being, like, five labels. You know, like, just not very many at all. Yeah. And then when you delve into that further, um, when you look at really popular music that's charting, a lot of the same names appear time and again behind yeah. music, which I think is sometimes why pop, like, 
pop, not pop music isn't pop music, but popular music yeah. can end up sounding a little bit homogenized because it's the same people working on it. It's not Appreciate even that it's bad. I would think that's it's how pop that, music got its name. Yeah, popular. That is where it came from, yeah. Yeah, but okay, so like I have three albums out, they're all different. The first one I recorded, and I think they get better progressively as I'm learning <laughs> what I'm doing, but the first one I think is more all over the place because that's the one where I'm coming off of a few years of not sharing my music with anyone. So the songs, you know, a couple of the songs on the album I wrote right before I recorded the album, and a couple of them were like five years old. So they're just, uh, I feel like that album is a little bit more all over the place because the songs were kind of like my six favorite songs from the last five years. So it was like all over the place. Um, then uh, the next EP I came out with, I wrote right after I went through a hard breakup. And uh, the EP is about that. And I wrote all of those songs in a really concentrated period of time. And uh, in my eyes, that EP kind of like tells a story of that breakup and like ends on like a hopeful, positive note. And truly, I wouldn't even say that that EP is about a breakup. I would say it's more about like me reclaiming myself and like learning to love myself as a single person and be okay with that. So I would say there's more of like an empowering vibe to that than a like sad breakup vibe, you know? Then um, this EP I released last summer, um, I, again, those are for the most part songs that I wrote, you know, in the year between the two album releases. Uh, there is one song on there, a ukulele song that's super old. I wrote it in like 2014. Kind of just got lost in the archives and I was like, oh, I like this song. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, I definitely, uh, I think that the songs on this album, it's less of like a concentrated, like it's definitely about this one event in my life, but uh, I think they go together because I wrote them within a concentrated time period. Um, and I definitely thought about the order that the songs are in on the album, for sure. I think that a lot of my songs probably has to do with the English major creative writing thing, but I think a lot of them are like little stories, like there's a storytelling element to the song, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so the order that they went in on the album was important to me, yeah. I mean, I that's, I think that has kind of gotten lost in music, because like a lot of things, so like with rap, a lot of people put skits in their music. Do, do they do that with like the people that you listen to and everything? You mean like talking in the middle? Yeah, like legit yeah. skits. Of, yeah. Like, it sounds like a movie is playing. And so there'll be like mm -hmm. two songs and then skit. And then like two songs and then skit. That's cool, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it was like albums used to be about 18 songs long. And it would be like something where you just hit play and just let it go. But right. now it seems like, oh, where's that song I heard on the radio? And then you just play those three songs, and then that's all you want I to know. listen to. I know. Yeah, it's tricky. So I really did try to make an album that you could play from start to finish, and it would be, like, enjoyable and make sense. There is a lot of <coughs> advice out there that's basically, like, don't do that if you're an independent artist. Like, And in some ways, I think that if you're really trying to play the algorithms of Spotify and social media, it might be smarter in some ways to release a series of singles 
Um, and I recognize that. And um, that is something I actually want to do this year. Like, I'm not done making albums, but I think this year I might release a single or two. More so because... Did you there's not do a, singles at first? No, never. What? Um, never done that. <laughs> I oh never released God. a single. More, more so because I have a couple of songs that are ready to be released, but <laughs> I don't crazy. have like a whole album ready. That's you know? Wrong. But like, yeah, I, I made this full-length 10-song LP and thought about the order of it and stuff because it's my art, you yeah. know? I felt like doing that. It's like, it would be like telling a painter, like, hey, instead of making a whole series of paintings, it would make a lot more sense if you ju were just one-off doing paintings and posting them. It's like, okay, for social media, that might make more sense, but it, there's still it, this is still a, an art and a craft, and I uh, really wanted to make an album yeah. in the traditional sense of an album. Yeah. So I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of that album, Silver Daughter, uh, we released last summer. Gotta plug it, okay? Uh, Silver Daughter, it's streaming on all streaming services, Spotify, iTunes, uh, or Apple Music, um, Amazon, wherever you stream music, uh, it's there. And would love if you checked it out. You can search Silver Daughter, or you can search my name, Louise Page, L-O-U-I-S-E-P-A-G-E. Me. Yeah. How about uh -huh. that that music video? I was when I was watching it, I was like, um, I was curious about just how you put everything together and like what was going through your mind, like for the which music video? The one where it's like uh, the you're in like the church, like a wedding chapel, right? Future Runaway Bride is okay, that one. Yeah. So, like I said, I love making music videos, and part of it is because I love watching music videos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are songs where I only am emotionally invested in the song because it's such a great music video and now I love the song, you know? So, uh, uh, so I wanted to make a music video for Future Runaway Bride because I already knew, I already had the strong visual. Like, when you were a little kid in the car, did you ever like look out the window and like imagine you were in a music video or whatever, right? Okay, so yeah, so I did that too and uh, Especially for my own songs, I mean, almost every song I've ever written, I have some type of visual in my head for the song. Some of them are not super well formed, and some of them are really fully formed, like fantasy music video going on in my head. And Future Runaway Bride was one of those where I was like, oh, if I made a music video for this, I absolutely know what it would look like. It would be, uh, you know, super funky like 70s colors bride running away from That's some something I noticed was like from the, some a-hole at the altar I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast no, so I've been fine. censoring myself okay <laughs> but, uh, so I already knew what I wanted then um, in 2018 I released a music video called Blue Romance and my friend Sam Leathers directed it so I reached out to him like well, you want to make another video and he was like well I'm actually working with this group now called Studio 143 and their office is in the same building as Young Avenue Sound, oh. in the Young Avenue Sound building. So I ended up meeting up with them, um, super great group of people. So uh, Josh Cannon and Barrett Kudis ended up directing this music video, which was fun for me too, because Barrett and I are like old friends from my old retail days. We worked at Urban Outfitters together in like 2013. So I was like, yes. So they were just a delight to work with, and they definitely helped me a lot. But I'm also really impressed with them because they, I feel like they plucked that out of my brain. Like it yeah, just yeah. is exactly what I wanted it to be. But so I came to them 
with a really developed concept. And I also had that concept of me being in the video as two characters. So in the video, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, I, it. yeah, go watch it. You can search Future Runaway Bride on YouTube. It'll pop right up. Uh, so I wanted to exist in that video as a character like Band Louise and also Bride Louise. So I play two, I'm actually wearing these pants in the video. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but regardless, so it's sort of like a, it's a pretty heavy handed metaphor, you know, like Band Louise sort of coaxes Bride Louise mm -hmm. to run away from this guy who sucks. And that was a big thing for me too. I was like, in this video, I don't want anyone to feel bad for the guy. Yeah. You know, that's not really the point. Uh, so he needs to clearly be terrible. So like in the video, <laughs> he's like drinking out of a flask and yeah, all, yeah. you know, all that. Um, so that's the other thing, like you can't get too complicated with it with a music video because you've got like three minutes to tell your story, you know, but right. that was the basic story I wanted um, was to have these shots of a wedding, like a really funky wedding interspersed with shots of my band playing and eventually you see uh, the band Louise almost as like an apparition in the audience and in the aisle like encouraging the bride to run away and then the really big fun last shot is like the bride running away and then the whole bride's side of the um, audience uh, like dances and runs away down the aisle with me. So it came together great. The color palette was important to me because I'm just a sucker for a beautiful aesthetic and yeah. a color palette and I think it's nice to watch, you know? Um, At first so, I was like, why does it look like this? And then I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, uh, that just I that was just my little fantasy music video in my head was that whole concept of uh, you know because I also kind of did that in my life I feel like I used to when I first graduated from uh, college I worked as a public librarian which like support our libraries libraries are great but it did not personally make me happy you know uh, and I. Uh, yeah, I had a big life change in uh, like early 2018 where I was like, I want to be a full-time musician. I'm not happy in this relationship I'm in. Like, I'm changing my life because I was on a path, you know, like I could have stayed on that path and stayed in that relationship and stayed at that job. And it would have been easier in a lot of ways. And like, my family was proud of me, you know, like I could have done that. Uh, but I was really, really unhappy. So, uh, so I didn't. I changed it up really in a super short amount of time I quit that job and ended that relationship and moved by myself to a little apartment in Midtown and uh, worked part-time retail for a year until I sort of felt secure enough to do music full-time so in some ways the metaphor in that video is sort of about that time in my life where I kind of left these traditional expectations uh, and followed my dream cheesy as it sounds it's no, true no, it's good. you know uh, getting yeah. a little more personal as far as like you talking about being bisexual did that mm -hmm. like did that just kind of click one day and then as far as like letting people know like friends and stuff like that or were, were you always just like on that path um that's an interesting question so uh my older so i feel like i kind of always knew that i liked girls and guys and mm -hmm. i had crushes on girls and guys but I don't know if any uh, bisexual listeners out there have the same experience. I, it's 
it's interesting because it's super, it's just way easier to just act like you're just straight, you know, yeah. because uh, there's no explaining that goes into that. You just, I had crushes on guys too, so it wasn't hard and I wasn't lying to just yeah. really kind of focus my energy on that, you know. So then um, my, I have an, an older sibling who uses they, them pronouns mm -hmm. and is transgender. But before they came out as transgender, they came out as gay. Um, or at the time they were identifying as a lesbian. Uh, so that would have been, they probably came out and introduced their first girlfriend to my parents when I was 18 or so, you know, like kind of young, but about yeah. to be an adult. I might have still been in high school. I don't know. But I, I was, I was a young adult, old kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they came out and uh, my parents were really supportive, you know, they were really sweet. So that, you know, probably helped me in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Okay, like, <laughs> I uh, did not have to break that ice, you know? Uh, so then um, when I was in college, I had some crushes on women or like little flings with women. I've never had a girlfriend personally. Like really? I just never have. I've only ever seriously dated men. And in some ways it's because it's like I'm pretty fearless with men. Like I know how to flirt with men and like with women I get really nervous. Cause I, uh, so you think you're, you're holding you back? Maybe, yeah, because yeah. I, get, I get nervous, and um, <laughs> I don't know. And some of it, too, is like, uh, yeah, it's just really different. Like, in this society we're living in, yeah. people assume that you're straight, yeah. and I would never want to make anyone uncomfortable if, like, they think we're just friends. I don't want to, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of, it really is a super different energy. Like, trying to flirt with someone of the same sex is more intimidating yeah. than opposite sex. I mean, I'm sure I it's like super difficult just to yeah. like figure out. I mean, some people, you know, people say that some people are just like obviously um, either straight or gay, mm -hmm. but then there's like some people it's hard to tell. I don't, I don't think, it, I think it's rarely obvious to me. I mean, there's some people that fit more into the stereotype, but yeah. there's people that you would swear are straight who aren't and vice versa, yeah. Yeah. you know? So I think we all kind of do ourselves a disservice by enacting stereotypes like that, Lately. you know, yeah, because, uh, there was a guy I, I, I thought for sure was straight, and then mm -hmm. somebody was like, no, he's gay, and I was like, what? Right. <laughs> I just can't really know, so, so it's funny because, uh, I don't really know, uh, I didn't really think of it as, like, a big secret, like, I thought, I, I, especially with, like, the people I was close to in life, you know, I was pretty open about, the fact that I was attracted to uh, men and women, but uh, this past year, like in 2019, on National Coming Out Day, I decided to post something about it, and part of why I decided to post something about it is because I know that, like, I'm really privileged in a lot of ways. You know, I'm uh, young and able-bodied and white and uh, educated and, like, um, cisgender, you know, so, like, I uh, I just am privileged in a ton of ways. So I was like, man, if this could help anyone at all, I should I should post something. Be yeah. like, I'm yeah. happy National Coming Out Day. Like I'm bisexual. I didn't think it would be like that big of a revelation, but a lot of people didn't know. I don't think my parents knew. Sorry, mom and dad. They were fine with it. You know, it was fine. But like, yeah, a lot of people didn't know. For me, like, it wasn't something I was keeping a secret or super concerned about. Um, it's been crazy though because since 
coming out, like, uh, I think bisexuality is kind of has its own unique struggle outside of being gay or straight because um, there's a lot of like erasure of bisexual people. People don't buy it. They yeah. think you're either straight or gay. Yeah, yeah. And something I think is really interesting, we live in a patriarchy, people, sorry, politics are leaking into my podcast here, but I, what I've seen is that men who identify as bisexual, people think that they're just gay and afraid to fully say that they're gay. And women who identify as bisexual, people think that they're straight and just like experimenting or trying to be hot or something. So I think that's super interesting, that if you identify as bisexual, the world at large is just gonna assume you're into men. Yeah. I'm like, have you seen women though? Because <laughs> you're assuming the wrong thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. but no, so that's been weird because I, um, for the most part, have gotten a lot of support and positivity and a couple of really, really sweet messages from like younger women who are like, I'm bisexual too and like been afraid to come out. So like, thank you, that's really sweet. Um, and I did have one really negative thing happen where someone was going around telling people that I wasn't really bisexual and it was fake and I was doing it for clout or whatever, um, which was so negative. I've never really experienced that, you know. Um, that person didn't say that to me directly, but I had several people coming to me and telling me that they were saying this. So uh, that was strange. I didn't really know what to do about that. I was like, well, I mean, I can't, I don't, it's such a personal thing too. It's like my, uh, like my sexuality is yeah, yeah. so personal you know and um i think that was even though it, was, it sucked it was probably an important experience for me to have to sort of realize that like i mean that's small potatoes to what a lot of people go through oh, yeah. um but i think that is such a strange symptom of our world that we question how people identify themselves yeah. but only in certain contexts if i was saying <laughs> i was straight no one would be like uh, okay she's not really you know people would just accept <laughs> it uh so yeah, I guess my, uh, my main takeaway, also to anyone listening, is uh, you really don't owe anyone any explanation for something as personal as your gender and your sexuality. You really don't. And if they don't understand it or don't believe it or are willfully choosing to be ignorant about it, then that's really sad for them. But like, I think most of us go through a journey of trying to learn about ourselves. And uh, so if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm bisexual or gay, or they come to you and say, hey, like, I think, uh, I've been thinking a lot about my gender and I'm transgender, and these are the pronouns I want you to use. Even if it's confusing to you for some reason, like, I think it's really important that we respect other people's identities, because you know, you know, who knows what's going on in your head better than you yourself. Yeah. And there's so many contexts where this isn't questioned at all. Like, uh, if you're walking your dog, and someone's like, oh, your dog is so cute, can I pet her? And you're like, ooh, actually, um, it's a boy. They're like, oh, sorry, him? No problem. But for some reason, if a person who uh, throughout their life has used certain pronouns, changes their pronouns, like a lot of people, it's not just like they're innocently having trouble with it. It's like people get really nasty about it. They really question it or say like, this is, you know, bullshit, like that person is making this up for attention or because it's trendy or whatever and like I don't know I think uh, people should open their minds a lot more to things like that I I don't think uh, I don't think people make stuff like that up for attention because mm -hmm. any attention you get for the most part is negative yeah why would you want that yeah. you know uh, so anyway 
I think people's gender and sexual identities are super personal and they are, I think, a lot more on a spectrum than a lot of people realize, you know? And uh, however you choose to identify is valid and beautiful and uh, wish we lived in a more accepting world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really do. Because I, um, like I said, when I posted that thing on Twitter about being bisexual, I didn't think it would be that big of a deal. But to someone out there in the world, it was a big deal to the point that they <laughs> called into question my honesty and my identity and my motives for saying that. Which, yeah, it was hurtful. It really was super hurtful. But, um, you know, uh, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> ultimately, I rose above it. And uh, that's just one person, you yeah. know. And I, uh, it's one person, and hopefully it was a positive thing to more than one person, so. By any chance, have you ever been to Vancouver? I have been to Vancouver, but it was when I was a kid, so uh, it's a long time ago. So me yeah. and my wife went to Vancouver uh -huh. uh, close to Thanksgiving, and they have a really big, like, LGBT mm -hmm. uh, environment. Like, right. they're the streets in, like, middle of downtown. So picture, like, on Bill Street. Mm -hmm. It's rainbow color. That's awesome. They have that yeah. in downtown uh, Vancouver. It's yeah, just I love like that. it's actually like um, a three-way intersection, and all the crosswalks are rainbows. And uh, then at night, they've got lights that go down the whole street that are they like LGBT. I colors love that. Well. And for me personally, I also just love rainbows. So I'm like, <laughs> like it's a win-win for me because I love bright colors and rainbows yeah. and all sorts of things. But uh. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I think our, a lot of people in our world, and social media doesn't help because it connects us all, which can be positive or negative, but I think a lot of people who for whatever reason are holding a lot of hurt or hate inside of themselves um, can be so hateful towards people who express themselves yeah. in a way that is outside of the norm. Yeah. Uh, and that's never made sense to me at all, at all. I really don't get it at all. And I think that, um, I hope that eventually uh, things get more open in so many different ways. Like, I think that um, men should be able to wear dresses yeah. if they want, even if they identify as straight, if that's something they want, they should do it. And of course there's some men who do that, but I think in our world right now, in Memphis, Tennessee, you're a man wearing a dress, people are gonna think you're gay. Yeah, you know, like sure. make a star. <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, but why not? Like, why? That's what you like. Go ahead. Why not? Or like throughout history and throughout society, there have been like, like uh, I, I'm also interested in fashions. So like we could go on a whole thing about this, but like, cool. uh, you know, high heels were originally invented for men to really? appear taller. They were originally worn by French nobility in the 1700s to appear taller, which really, if you think about societal constructs of men and women, it kind of makes more sense for men to wear high heels and be taller, yeah. you know? Um, and then somehow, uh, now it's a super feminine thing to wear high heels. But I think the more educated I get on like societal constructs and clothing and uh, the societal constructs of gender in our world, it's, uh, that's when it really started breaking down for me that, like, it's all just kind of BS, you yeah. know? It's all real arbitrary. In, uh, less than a hundred years ago, pink was considered a boy's color for baby boys, and blue was considered a girl's color for baby girls. 
and sometime in the last century it flipped mm. uh, because blue was always considered to be a more soft, submissive color, and red was a more, you know, masculine color, and pink is just like soft red, whatever. So like a lot of this stuff that we really assign to people and like the, some people get genuinely angry about like there are people who would see a man in a dress and get genuinely angry yeah. I'm like there's just a lot better things to be angry about <laughs> and it's really all kind of just arbitrary and just we built this world you know yeah. like I don't know so whatever that's my two cents about it <laughs> you know so I, I think people for sure they focus yeah. on the wrong things they, yeah. they get upset about the wrong things and I, I value, as I said, like I like people who are weird. I value people who are open-minded, and I value people mm. who love to express themselves. Yeah, okay. And that's why I like doing this podcast because yeah. I, it allows people to get vulnerable. They allow them to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Right. There's no censorship, and then also you just get to like just think. And you're like spilling your ideas, and yeah. sometimes people people don't do that. People just, people don't think, and people don't use. They don't act upon their ideas, and like on Facebook or Instagram or or Twitter or whatever you're using, mm. there's those censorships kind of hold people back from like how they want to express themselves, and then also just like the comment section can bring people down, and it'll yeah. won't allow them to express themselves the way they want to in the future because they're like oh so and so said this about me right. so I can't touch this anymore I know yeah so that's kind of like uh, I really carry that with me in the way that I engage on social media specifically on my public pages like I really do like I try to leave positive comments and be a positive inclusive person and sometimes that really is a little bit at my own expense you know yeah. like I have to deal with some hate on social media and just let it roll off my back because I don't have to let it roll off my back but I choose to because uh yeah like I was saying like that whole weird experience with it was really just one person but one person getting super hateful towards me about being bisexual and I'm out here like you know uh you know I'm a young thin white woman and this person's being really hateful towards me I'm like man I don't even want to know <laughs> what some people have to deal with, you know? Like, yeah. some people who are marginalized in more ways than I am, yeah. like, must deal with absolute hell. So yeah. I'm, you know, I try to, like, be strong through those <laughs> things because I'm like, I don't even know, you know? Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, I think freedom of expression is really important, and it's a really beautiful thing, and... Uh, I guess the main thing I've never understood about it is like gender and sexuality is so, so, so personal. Mm. That if for some reason you don't or can't agree with someone's personal gender or sexual expression, then why don't you just leave them alone? Yeah. Go live your life with people who agree with you, you know? Like, exactly. it's so personal. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you, really. But yeah, yeah you know, I moved to the Bible Belt, so I did this myself. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> You know. So how do you uh, speaking of that? How do you like the difference between? So you did you just live in Pennsylvania or? I did, yeah. So I grew up in Central Pennsylvania, kind of in like Amish country, uh, close uh, to yeah. where Penn State University is, and but my parents are both from the South. My dad grew up in North Carolina, and my mom grew up in Memphis. 
Um, so when I was looking at schools, I knew I, I wanted to go to college, and I knew I did not want to go to Penn State, which mm. would have been way easier. It's really close to my hometown, but I was like itching to go somewhere else. I really wanted to go to a city, mm. which uh, to me, when I moved to Memphis, it was like the big city because <laughs> I grew up in a small town. Um, but it kind of all ended up working out because I got into Rhodes, mm. uh, and my grandmother lives here. Oh. And so it was sort of like I get to move and experience a different part of the country and be in more of a city. But uh, my mom is from Memphis. She visits a lot, and my grandmother lives here. So if uh, I get really homesick or whatever, I've got I, it. Still feels in some ways connected to home. Like I grew up visiting Memphis, visit my grandma, whatever. And um, it's so funny because there's a lot of people, almost exclusively people who grew up in Memphis, like born and raised in Memphis, who kind of hate on Memphis a little bit. Like they're like, oh, like Memphis is the worst. Like I hate it. There's nothing going on. But I think Memphis is just like social media. It's like what you make of it yeah. and like what you choose to do. Because when I first moved here, the fact that there was, I mean, I would say any night of the week, if you want to hear live music, you can. Yeah. Like you can find it somewhere. Yeah. That blew my mind when I moved here. <laughs> and before I ever played shows or anything, I was going to see local live music all the time, which ended up really helping me when I started busting into the music scene because a lot of venue owners already knew me from me being a regular going oh. to their shows, you know? Okay. Uh, but yeah, that was fascinating to me when I first moved here, how much live music there was. I thought it was amazing. I still think it's amazing. And it's cool that that's like what I do now. But, uh, <laughs> And I think the musical history in Memphis is amazing. Uh, I think it was really eye-opening for me to move here because I was really sheltered in a lot of ways where I grew up. The town I grew up in is maybe 95% white. <laughs> Seriously. And then probably the largest minority is Asian people. That's correct. Because... Um, there's a lot of uh, people from Asia who come to for Penn State. Yeah, yeah. So um, I thought that I was so woke and like understood <laughs> the world so much. And then I moved Memphis. to Memphis, which is a majority black city, and uh, really uh, had to confront a lot of things that I did not have to confront in my hometown, yeah. like uh, how my privilege really yeah. I really had to confront my privilege when I moved here and I think that that was really ultimately good for me you know uh, I remember uh, this is just my experience like please don't sue me Rhodes College it's just <laughs> what happened to me but I moved here uh, the second day of school at Rhodes I called my mom crying crying tears on the phone because I was like mom all of my professors and all of the girls on my hall in my dorm are white, and all of the lawn, like yard workers and cafeteria workers are black, and it's stressing me out. And no one else seems stressed out, and I'm like really disturbed and upset. That's crazy. You know? And my mom was like, Yeah, well, uh, you moved to Memphis, and like you should do some research on like the history of Memphis and how, uh, you know, the Jim Crow South existed and how yeah. that still affects people because that's what you're seeing right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I just, um, I, that stuff I did not see in my hometown because uh, the black kids at my school, like, their parents were professors at Penn State, you know, and there weren't very many of them. 
So I just like thought I was so woke, but I never, I never lived anywhere where uh, racial politics were really, really relevant. Mm -hmm. And I think about that now too. Um, sometimes I'll see people on the news discussing like police violence or something, and I'm like, this person discussing police violence, you know, for all they, they might not even know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, I guess I don't have any super fully formed thoughts on this, but like, uh, I, I think uh, that was so formative to me as a person and like being a truly woke person, not that anyone is fully woke. I guess I, I, I'm still learning about the world. Like I still have things to learn, uh, but I am glad that I moved somewhere so different from where I grew up and I think more people should do that because I feel like I understand our country and our world a lot better having moved somewhere where the demographics and the history are really different from where I grew up. Like, I think it was helpful to me. And I also think that, like, uh, the cloth cuts both ways. Like, I had that negative experience with feeling like I'd gone back in time 50 years when I first got to Rhodes. But then also, you know, there are people um, and there are people in Memphis doing amazing things. And like, I don't know if you've heard of The Collective. Um, on Instagram, it's the, and then it's like CLCTV or something like that. But um, it's really for black artists. It's like a space for black creatives to do their thing. And uh, I think it's awesome. And I think it needs to be there. And I think that some people who maybe don't live in Memphis or don't understand the culture of our city might, you know, like the whole like reverse racism thing, like, mm -hmm. well, like that's racist towards white people. Like that's not real. I really don't think that that's <laughs> a real thing at all. You know, it's not a thing. It's not. But, uh, Working at the library revealed a lot to me too. I worked at the public library for two years and just seeing like the town I grew up in had one public high school where everyone went. And I got a great education at that public high school. Libraries work really closely with public schools and like seeing how terrible some of the public schools in Memphis are. I don't know, like, I don't have like a big final point for all of this, but just that uh, moving here really opened my eyes to a lot of like world issues and like, really issues of race in America that I think I was fully ignorant about before I moved here. Like, fully. Like, I thought I wasn't, but I was. I didn't know anything. <laughs> I didn't know a single, single thing. So uh, that's a pretty crazy element to living in Memphis. And uh, I really do love this city. Like, I, I really love it. And it's taught me a lot. And it's, uh, I love the music in Memphis. I've made amazing friends. Um, but having said all of what I said about how, like, Memphis is still sort of feeling the effects, like, socioeconomically of, like, the Jim Crow South or whatever, I can understand why some people leave. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not always an easy place to be because of that. I think that once you get into your communities of people, it's an amazing place. Mm -hmm. But structurally, there's a lot about Memphis that is wrong and hard. And, like, I don't... Like, I don't think it's fair that there are whole communities of people that have these super, super underfunded public schools 
while uh, the wealthiest people in our city send their kids to private schools. Yeah. Can't really blame them because they have the money to do it and the public schools are all terrible. But like, at a certain point, it's just like keeping this divide, that's this socioeconomic divide, you know. Uh, so Memphis has a lot of structural problems, but I think it's a really beautiful place. I've met a lot of beautiful people here. You think you'll stay here? Yeah. I don't know. I uh, never thought I would stay here. I thought I would leave. Uh, <laughs> well, thought I would leave after are. college. <laughs> I really thought I would leave after college. Uh, but then the music stuff kind of is what kept me here at first because that's the ball started rolling. So sometimes I'm kind of on the fence about it. I love Memphis. I have a great community here. So sometimes I'm like, yeah, why would I leave? I've got everything I need here, and it's a low cost of living, and I've got my foot in the door here. But then other times, you know, uh, I think like, man, if I really want to expand my career, maybe I do need to move to LA or New York or something like that. But I just don't know. Because also with the with social media, again, we're way more connected than we used to be. I don't know if it's true that you need to move to a huge city to make it. I yeah. don't think that that's true, but I'm kind of trying to figure that out right now. Definitely for the next year or two, I'm in Memphis. Yeah. But perhaps my five-year plan includes going somewhere else. I don't know. But I love Memphis, and I want to support this city because I love it. And if I ever did make it to some larger platform than what I have now, I would want to give back to Memphis in some way. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. I, I love Memphis. I really do. That's good. Yeah. I mean, the, a lot of people don't really, I guess, represent their city, uh, like where they're from, or like what, or the city that made them is mm -hmm. like a phrase that people use. Yeah. Like, so I'm from a small town, Audiana, Alabama. Oh, I, didn't, I haven't even really told you anything. About yeah. <laughs> Who is this man? <laughs> I don't know him. <laughs> so uh, I'm from Audiana, Alabama. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it was population of like 6,000 when I was there but um, let's see I joined the Air Force at 21 and lived in North Dakota and then uh, that's where I met Rachel actually she's oh, yeah. from she's from Ohio cool. but we moved up my way up PA, yeah. <laughs> yeah she's actually from Northeast Ohio she's cool. from uh, Atwater so it's like that's really close to Pennsylvania. Yeah, I yeah. think it takes like 45 minutes to get to the, the line of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. But, um, dang, what was I going to say? Oh, just, just living in those different areas. So, like, we, we traveled a good bit. So we went to Vancouver and we go all yeah. over the place. But just living in different places, that has, like, shown me different people and, like, how people are. So yeah. there's a guy I actually worked with in the Air Force, and um, he was from Idaho. And he was like, yeah, the first black person I ever saw was when I went to basic training. And I was like, wait, what? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. At least my town wasn't that small. You know, like, it wasn't that small. But um, but I just, I think about this because there's all of these uh, big conversations happening in our country about race. And I just, having my own one experience of just moving just two places, just one place to the other, I'm like... I don't know if like we should be having I don't know I don't know if all these people are qualified to even talk about this yeah. you know what I mean because how can you speak about what race in America means in Memphis if you've only ever lived in central Pennsylvania yeah. you can't like the men making laws for women in their oh don't even get me started on that yeah that's a whole other can of worms that I'm also really 
really uh, passionate about. Yeah, but uh, but no, I just think uh, yeah, something that I learned in college that really kind of blew my mind and opened my mind and my heart a lot were we live in a society that is at its core uh, sexist and racist and homophobic. Like For sure. it is. For sure. uh, it is the easiest type of person to be in our society is like a straight white man. Oh, yeah. You're gonna get the least flack for that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's hard for some straight white men to hear because they're human beings who have been through life and they don't wanna hear that like your life isn't hard. But it's not saying your life isn't hard, it's like your life isn't hard because of your race, gender, or sexuality. Path, if it's hard, it's for other reasons. The path of least resistance. Right. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, so in college I had this great professor that was basically like, if you really want to, um, you know, become an open-minded person, you're going to have to accept that even if you're, uh, even if you're a person of color or if you're gay or if you're a woman or whatever, like even if you fall into any of these categories, like to a degree you have your own internalized racism and sexism and homophobia. Like yeah. every single person has that and uh, you have to accept that it's there if you want to get rid of it because mm -hmm. you know we all know that person that's like maybe they say something that's low-key racist and someone says something about it and they're like whoa like my best friend is black it's yeah, like yeah. okay you're not really trying to grow or learn or change at all <laughs> are you that I feel bad for your best friend <laughs> like I'm yeah. a, whatever but uh, that really blew my mind because I was like that's uh, true and I think that that makes life hard for people who are in marginalized uh, communities of any sort because like uh, as a woman I have my own internalized sexism that I need to deal with and get over before mm -hmm. I can really love myself you know and I think for the most part I've done that but I just always thought that was a really interesting concept that like our society at its core is racist sexist and homophobic and all of us are carrying that inside of us in some way and if you don't address it it'll thrive you have to address it to destroy it you know? sure. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. So I guess that that is where I will get political, is like identity politics, um, because uh, that really matters to me. Like I think uh, everyone deserves to love themselves and accept themselves and have an equal shot in the world, and that is just not the way our world is right now. No. So, um, so I try to... Uh, to be a voice for that and also like it's also really important to me to uh be open to learning things you know like i don't know everything at all or like i'm white like i don't i'll never know everything yeah. about race but i need to like accept that and embrace that and like listen to the people in my life who have dealt with that yeah you know i don't know so that that's all really important to me I think the yeah. easiest way to do that is just surrounding yourself with people who are different. Yes, I, absolutely. I think, I think people are genuinely, I guess, like scared to surround themselves with people who are different. Right. Because people are also scared to just be uncomfortable. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't like being uncomfortable, but I like putting myself in uncomfortable situations. Number one, to find out stuff about myself. And number mm -hmm. two, to find out stuff about other people. Yeah. Because that's that's the easiest way to learn is just to be yeah. around people who are different. So you can like, oh, you say that? Why do you say that? That's the way you do that? Why do you do that? So it's right. it's just fun to me. 
yeah, I think so too. And that's like the quickest way to uh, to humanize yeah. people too. Like, uh, right? Like, there's all these stories of people who like were homophobic until they had a gay brother, and then they were like, "Oh, that's just my brother." Like, "Oh yes, okay, you get it." <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, that's it's crazy to me how um, delicate these topics of conversation are in so many circles. Because it's like, uh, man, my whole thing is just that like everyone, everyone is equal and everyone is worthy of the same respect. And weirdly, not everyone agrees with that. <laughs> you know, you would think, I would think that people would, but uh, no, they don't. You know. So, what is your next step? What you got next? Next step. Okay, so. I am making another music video uh, that we're filming in one week exactly, next Saturday. Uh, it's for the song Paw and the Honey, and I'll be working with some burlesque dancers in it. It's going to have kind of like nice. a burlesque theme, which I'm really excited about. Um, my next show is, uh, when is this airing? Is this going right up online or? Whenever I finish. Okay. <laughs> I'll go edit the video and then cool. stuff. So. My next couple shows are uh, January, they're all in Memphis, uh, January 27th at the High Tone. And then uh, the next show after that will be February 14th, Valentine's Day at Black Lodge. Nice. I love Valentine's Day. Really? I really do. Yeah. Uh, I. I think of it as a day not just for romantic love. It's just a day of love. Yeah, to like yeah. let the people in your life know that you love them. And I also love pink and red as a color scheme. You know, like some people are shopping the Halloween seasonal decorations. <laughs> I'm shopping Valentine's Day seasonal decorations. <laughs> like, I love Valentine's Day. Uh, so that show should be really special. And I'm hoping to get maybe some even limited edition merch together like some pink t-shirts or something i don't know exactly what i'm doing yet okay. um and also in early february i'm recording a little single at young avenue sound um you gotta start that, releasing singles that's yeah. crazy to me that's it's gonna so be a little bit different than some of my other singles it's uh, a little more stripped down okay. i think it'll be cool so i'll send you that i'll send that your way um and if you've never heard of me as a person uh, my name's Louise. Thanks for listening to me talk. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram at uh, Wheezy Page, W-E-E-Z-Y-P-A-G-E, -E or on Twitter, Sweet underscore Wheezy. So uh, S-W-E-E-T underscore W-E-E-Z-Y. Or on Facebook, uh, it's just uh, my name, Louise Page. Uh, so check me out. Listen to my music. <laughs> I have had a lot of fun talking to you. Well, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a great talk to you, for mm -hmm. sure. And as I said, it's it's always good to just have people on. And so I used to use, um, I had a Canon camera, mm -hmm. and um, I was doing these podcasts, and it, it was just, the camera only works for like 30 minutes, the video does. Mm -hmm. So that's how long the podcasts were. And I was like, let me start out with that also, because I don't have any, like, a ton of listeners, so people probably aren't going to stay tuned in for, you know, over 30 minutes, mm -hmm. but... Now I've got you know this camcorder, so it's it's long-winded now. So I, being yeah. able to open people's minds and open up their the conversation allows them to speak more freely and be able to you know say what what they're really thinking. So do you edit it at all? Like, are you going to edit it down at all? Oh uh, no! So I'm basically uh, I have like sorry, I actually, I'm going to still listen to everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! So that's yeah, okay. I basically <laughs> just add a like an intro and then. 
just let this whole thing play cool. out and then an outro and that's it. So Well neat. For sure. Yeah. This was really fun. Yeah. I is. had a great time. <laughs> and okay, oh I brought you some things. Oh, I brought you some little little gifties. Uh it's a t shirt, that's why I asked your t shirt size weirdly when we were awesome. talking. And you'll see I've wrapped the city on the shirt. We were talking about that too. Hey. And then I got my card and some stickers for you too. Awesome. And I should have brought your wife a shirt too. I just didn't even <laughs> no, have fun. I would have done that. I told yeah. you nothing about me. So. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I gotta do yeah. stickers. Dude, people love stickers. That is real. These are amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, so that logo, the Louise Page logo, was designed by my friend Lauren. And uh, her name's Lauren Holterman, and she, her Instagram is Holter Monster. She is pretty amazing. She's a great graphic designer. Got to shout out my friends, and then that sticker, the rose with the tongue sticking out, was designed by my friend Claire, the tattoo artist I mentioned earlier. Uh, and their Instagram handle is Stray Dog Claire. So if you need any tattoos done locally, that's who I would recommend. Yeah. Um, Cool. So last thoughts, I guess, are to love each other and make a lot of art. Yeah. <laughs> That's a quote. Uh, by the way, when I said something earlier about um, all y'all being on the same page, that would have been a good band name. Hey, the same, same page. <laughs> you know? It's just like Jeez Louise. At some point in Friendship With Me, someone says something about Jeez Louise, and they're like, oh, oh my god, <laughs> it's your name. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everybody, for uh -huh. tuning in, and uh, see you next time.